Ah, finally. After a long day of editing, I can sit down and watch a recording of my favorite show, My Little Pony. That sure sounds like a lot of fireworks. Oh, that Pinkie Pie is going wild again. Why does Glinda have a gun? Rainbow Dash? No, you know axes are no way to settle differences. This is horrible. Rarity. Oh, Rarity, you're covered in blood. Spike. No. Look away. Huh? I know what you did. Warning. The Dub Talk podcast uses strong language that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast will spoil all of Black Lagoon, The Second Raid, and Roberta's Blood Trail. And possibly other anime. Please use caution in case there's a series you haven't finished yet. And finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. You've crossed me for the last time. Signed, Vancouver Vincent! Welcome aboard, sailor. Grab your guns, get your gear, and get ready to raise some mayhem. Watch your mouth, but don't watch your fucking language on my watch. Our boat's on a one-way ticket to hell, and you're going down, why not bring some friends along? Actually, hell would be a kindness, because at least you'd be there faster. No, we're going somewhere even worse. Roanapur, the world's asshole. I'm the captain of your voyage, so listen to your good old pal Classy Spartan, or Andrew's fine, I'm not picky, and you might come home tonight without getting a new asshole torn open. Manning our cannons that all the bitches love, we got our Memphis menace himself, Spaceman Hardy. Yar, I'm a pirate. That's the spirit. Checking our sonars, we've got the music-loving, lumberjack-wearing skeleton, Amon Duel. You know, Robert Duvall was right, Napalm does smell great in the morning. We also got our hacker man from the Great North, the Nine-Clawed Tiger himself, Jackson. Do you quarrel, sir? We quarrel quite a bit. Remember, folks, don't touch his setup. He's watching multiple VTubers and giving half of his paycheck to all of his Oshis, or whatever the fuck you call them. And finally, hailing from Bahaba with the mouth that'll make any masshole cry out of pry, Two Hands Lilac. Don't fuck with her boys unless you want to piss your pants while staring down the barrels of her favorite cutlasses, lovingly named Gengar and Chandelure. God damn it, that's why you asked me that! She'll gladly make you a ghost type if you ask her so nicely. Oh, don't fucking mess with me, ladies and gentlemen. Don't try her. Now that you know our crew, now it's time to let you in on our job today. Dub Talk Company's next job. A classics job, if you will. Haven't seen one of those come down the pipeline in a while. This time, for an old favorite round the saloon, Black Lagoon. We're talking all of it, by the way. Season 1, Second Barrage, Roberta's Blood Trail. When I say all of it, I fucking mean all of it. So b sit back, shut the fuck up, and enjoy the ride, jackasses. Or if you don't, why don't you get fucked? For those who cannot see anything, including the other gentlemen in this call... When Andrew said the words get fucked, he legit just flipped the middle, flipped the bird. The like Rock deuces? does in, oh yeah, just like Rock fucking does in like the early episodes. Friends, 
This is one I've been wanting to do for a long time. This is one I've been trying to get back in the mood, in the spirit, to revisit. Because this is an old favorite of mine from probably like a decade ago now. More than that, friend. More, More than, than that. that. Sh- honestly, you were probably too young to watch it, honestly. I probably was, but the reality <laughs> is this. When it did hit Toonami was when it was on Adult Swim, and I was at least of age to buy M-rated games. You were old enough to be too young to be watching this show. (laughs) (laughs) I was old enough to be too young watching this show, but here's the thing about being young. When you're young, you hit that point where all the things that you shouldn't be watching seem really cool, desirable, and interesting. I hate to say this, Andrew. What? You were 10 years old when this show came out originally. When the show came out, but it wasn't... 2006, ladies and gentlemen. But I wasn't then when I first discovered this one in particular. I actually discovered it through the Toonami broadcast when it aired probably like 2014, 2015 or so uh, when it aired on the Adult Swim Toonami. I forgot it did because it was not too long after Funimation rescued the show, I think, right? Sometime around then, but that's how I was first exposed to it myself, because back then, I really like stuff like that. I'm a huge film buff, but if you ask me, like, I think my personal favorite types of films, I really, back then, was into, like, Quentin Tarantino shit. Pulp Fiction's probably, like, one of my all-time faves. I love a bunch of the stuff he's done since. I love Django. Kill Bill? Kill Bill's really good. What's it? The first one is escaping me. The first one he ever Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Thank you. I I love those kinds of things. Not that just that level of like crime and violence, but that level of character introspection is like really what drew me to those works, like the cinematic language. And that is what I fell in love with with Black Lagoon. Not only just the fact that it's extremely, like, cool guy, fuck yeah, motherfucker, but also that it is so much character, so much depth, and so much, like, complexity over the course of all of these 29 episodes that this one has stuck with me for years. Revisiting it again has been very exciting, and I could say this is how I'm familiar with it. Hardy, Jackson, I know you two have seen this one before, am I correct? Oh yeah, I watched it on the Genion releases. Oh wow. Yeah. If I recall correctly, this was when I was a fledgling anime fan and doing all my anime homework. Oh, these are the shows you gotta check out, so watch this one in the college dorm room. The anime starter pack? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fun fact, originally tonight, I was gonna bring Steph as my uh, witness and excuse for this one to be a classics because she had owned this series, but she had never actually seen this series, yeah. as you do when you own a lot of anime. It's it's very true. I The only things I know about this show were pretty much fuck yeah, motherfucker, and all the fucking bitches, and all the cursing, and pretty much the meme, that, that fucking YouTube video where it's like every time they say the word fuck in that show. Yeah, the, the fucking short version. The fucking short version, by yes. Way, <laughs> by the way, fun fact, watching it on Toonami, I used to be on this old, like, Toonami Fateful forum, where after every episode, I would literally keep a tally of how many times they got bleeped on television. Oh, yeah. Certain words got bleeped on television. I don't remember which episode had the most profanities, because that form has since been deleted, but I think by the end of 24 episodes of the first two seasons, they didn't air Roberta's Blood Trail on Toonami. It 
the the bleep count came out to about 230. Jesus Sounds Christ. about right. I went and looked up that fucking short version in preparation for this. <laughs> so the series itself, 259 F-bombs. <laughs> and the Roberta's Blood Trail adds another 108. <laughs> Jesus, in the span of five episodes alone, holy crap. Which was a video edited by our friend Noah Clue ten years ago. What? <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Yeah, Thanks, no, Noah. Noah did the fucking short version for Roberta's Blood Trail. Oh my god, hang on, hang on. I Apparently need... he didn't know this. I. He... Oh my god! Yeah, he just pulled it up. I didn't! <laughs> I've been holding on that. to this one for a couple weeks. In <laughs> I didn't know that! Oh my god, that's amazing! I love you, Noah. Noah, you've done a goddamn service. Well done, sir. Oh my fucking god. This reminds me of, like, wanting to go through all the deaths of the Team Four Star Soul S Silver Nuzlocke compilation on YouTube and realizing, hey, who posted this video? Oh, our buddy Crimson Akinda. <laughs> Fucking but, A. But anyway, I know I'm not the only person who hasn't seen this show actually before. Isn't that right, Almond? Oh, yeah, no, I saw, like, two episodes of this in college and thought, this looks fun, and then we proceeded to never watch it ever again, and... I'm lazy, and there's a lot of anime. It's true, there's too much. As soon as you brought up in a passing conversation that, I think it was maybe even after another recording, you're like, oh, I never actually seen this this show. I was like, Ex excuse me? <laughs> Amon. Amon. I've gotten a good feel of what your brand of bullshit is. Oh, this is so your brand. Get the fuck aboard. To be fair, I feel good about my decisions because I feel like I enjoy the show a lot more having watched it now than if I would have watched it in college for reasons that we I may or may not get into depending on if I remember. So, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy. That's completely fair. So, now that we've got that introduction out of the way, let's let me introduce you to a little bit about what Black Lagoon is about, courtesy of the Funimation Blu-ray. Rokuro was an ordinary Japanese businessman, a suit hired to entertain corporate high rollers and serve as a whipping boy for the big bosses with the real juice. A mission to deliver a mysterious disc to the deadly waters east of China seemed like his big break, but some things just weren't meant to be. A ruthless gang of mercenaries fronted by a gunslinging femme fatale in scandalously short shorts kidnapped Rokuro and held him for ransom. When his company refused to pay, he became their property. To survive, he was forced to reinvent himself as Rock, the brains behind the beauty and brawn of Black Lagoon, the most cutthroat crew of mercs ever to hustle the mean streets of Roanapur. A nightmare of Metropolis where the bad guys are really bad and your friends might be even worse. Rock is just a poor sap. Is he, though? Well, by the time we get through Roberta's blood trail, is he, though, is a good question. He was showing sides prior to that, but you know what? No, but he goes full force in Roberta's blood trail. But so, anyway. So this is the kind of thing that I feel like, back in, like, high school, I was looking for things that were a little edgy, but I wasn't quite full-on, like, how do you describe it? Teenage, like... Hot topic. Hot topic revenge fantasy kind of bullshit. Like, I wasn't that. I was like, I want the adult stuff, but I kind of want something that's got a little juice to it, too. You were part of the audience of, um, 
in the 80s, they would put nudity in OVAs ostensibly to attract adults, but it was really just to attract horny teenagers who could buy this with a fake ID. Kind of, yeah. Perhaps I was maybe lying to myself where it's like, I, I had a little bit of that, oh, I want to see that adult shit. But at the same time, even back then, I was like, oh, oh, this one's something special. And you know what's been fun? Having an excuse to finally look into this dub. Because I knew some things about this dub. Let me tell you folks, this is like the most I feel like I've learned stuff going through a dub talk for prep before. So let's talk about our ADR director and our script writers for this series. This is my first time hosting a Canadian dub, courtesy of our friends at Ocean Studios. Oh, Canada! I don't know. I don't know the rest of it outside of that. Sorry. I'm sorry if I offended you, Jackson. Well, you didn't sing it in French, so there's your problem right there. <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, there's the, the... Oh, no, my... I, I, I apologize for my transgressions. <laughs> uh, we're not going to get into heated territories from this discussion, no. We're gonna... We're gonna upset people from Quebec. That's what we're gonna do. Quebec. Quebecois. What the it's fuck Ke is it's that? It's Quebecers for the English-speaking people in Quebec, and it's Quebecois for the French people in oh. Quebec. See? Quebecois? See, I knew what I was talking about. Oh, Anyways. So. And I took French in high school. See, it's, it's good we're doing this episode because um, now we can qualify to be broadcast on uh, the CN. Uh, yeah. For the Canadian Yeah, broadcast. we now fulfill CanCon. Yeah, we have 2% <laughs> authentic Canadian content. Which has become more important because Canada has passed a bill on the internet for CanCon. <laughs> Shit's fucked. Carrying oh, on. Oh, how, Great! Alright, after after we're done recording, please attempt to explain how you enforce that to me. I'm very curious. Anyhow. I'd also like to know. You don't. <laughs> and you know what? Tonight we're riding the high seas of the pirate's life, so you know what? Fuck it. So, our ADR director for both the dub of Black Lagoon and Roberta's Blood Trail is one James Corrigal. Being the scriptwriter for seasons one and two is Stephen Headley. And being the scriptwriter for Roberta's Blood Trail is Mike Bridges. James Corrigal has directed for things such as Banner of the Stars, Mobile Suit Gundam 00, Nana, Powerpuff Girls. Nana, Nana, not Nana. Nana's my grandmother. Nana's the name of the show. Also, my dog. <laughs> Nana. Nana. Powerpuff Girls Z and Sonic Prime, the new Sonic series on Netflix. Mm. Okay. Uh, Stephen Headley has written for things such as Kurazuka, The Law of Ueki, and the first 19 episodes of Death Note. Mike Bridges has written for Hikaru no Go, Infinite Revias, Mobile Suit Gundam 00, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam, and the first Canadian dub season of Shakugan no Shana. So... I'm okay with tonight going a little bit around the drinking table and just kind of letting the uh, shots go for shots. Everybody just shout out, put the knives on the table so we can have tonight's conversation be nice and civil. And if anybody's got a problem with anybody, we can take it out back like the Cowboys did. So is this that whole meeting thing with like fucking Bellalaika and all the other gangs over Wanapur? It's all the triads meeting triads, together. Yeah, thank you. It's civil. But you could tell there's a little bit of hostility underneath. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, who likes to start, of a, start us off tonight? I will say this. Um, you could not get away with this script in this day and age. This Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, 
because of some of the uh, some of the slurs that they throw around occasionally, mm-hmm. um, it is very much a product of its time. That having been said, it has some of the best dubbed one-liners I think I've ever heard, and I want to think that some of these were ad-libbed by the dub crew. And when they zing, they really zing. Oh, man. Yeah. Everything just fleshes so well around the acting of our main crew. And there are some... We will get to these later, but there are some choices in um, stereotyping certain performances. That was the case back then, and I think it works. You could not get away with it in this day and age. I also think some of those accents are definitely the biggest thing that ages this as a thing from, like, the 2000s, but I I definitely agree with you there. I feel like this is the kind of show that if you tried to PG-13 this, it wouldn't hit as hard. There are shows and there are IPs where trying to play the PG-13 rating works to the benefit of the project and the dub as a whole, it would absolutely not have made Black Lagoon sing as well as it does. And I feel like that is truly what has made it survive the test of time. Yeah, I'm just digging up some of the um, one-liners that Andrew wrote down in Brichettes and Giggles and... A few gems from the latter episodes of the show. Your breath stinks like you've been sucking cock. <laughs> this ain't no fucking J-pop. Better start running because the boogeyman is gonna is coming to eat you up. And, ah, I think probably his favorite. I make it a point to never fuck assholes or pussies. That was just from, like, the uh, Yakuza arc in and of itself. There are so many good zingers, and frankly, too many to even write down, because a lot of it is just the dynamic, angry, volatile, crude, and crass chemistry that these characters make. Mm -hmm. The script itself is like, fuck yeah, motherfucker, and it knows it. The, The script itself knows what this show is, and approached it in a very, very fun way. Because you're taking a world that is filled with, like, gangsters, mobs, Like, a gangster, mobster kind of deal. Because you have triads like the fucking cartel. And, like, uh, Bella Lega's group with the Russians. You, you have these various groups. You make them distinct from each other, which is good. But also, the show knows what it is. It's not gonna be all goody two shoes, sunshines and sunshine and rainbows, and I think the script reflects that. I do agree with Hardy that there are a few pieces in here that would not work if this was a show that was produced and done in today's day and age. One hundred percent. That being said, but it's still a lot of fun. there are lives that are still timeless, such as besides I'm Jewish. Fuck the Nazis is a family creed. <laughs> I knew you would love that one. I forgot that! Truly an Mm all-timer. It's an all-timer, and it's never not going to be an all-timer. The shit Revy alone says just lives in my head rent-free. It's great. I think Revy has sexual tension with maybe every single character in the show. Some it's stronger than others. 
She has sexual tension with every single character that could potentially kick her ass or she wants to fight. She's- Oh my god, she's like Hisoka. She's fight sexual. No, 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 no. Okay, no. How dare you? How fucking dare you? This is my episode. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm and, sorry. And you're you comparing my you, girl Revy to can, Hisoka. You cannot tell me I'm wrong. To your other favorite Madhouse anime, clearly. <laughs> I'm, but am I wrong? Well, well, Revy's not a predator, so yes, <laughs> Th- that that's points in her favor. But that does not mean she's still not fight sexual. Am I wrong? Look, th- look, I'm going to derail this by saying, oh my god, these two would fuck so good. Like Rocket Revy would fuck so good. Oh, Andrew got so stoked about the cigarette kiss. Mm, mm, it's so good! It's so good! It's so again, good! Because again, this is him rewatching it, so he's just like, yes! Okay. It's here! What's more erotic? Two people having sex, or one person having a lit cigarette and lighting the other butt of the unlit cigarette by placing their mouths together and breathing it in? It's, it's a very telling and interesting choice. But anyway. All right, who? Please Dir- go. Directing, writing, who else? Because <laughs> Andrew's just distracted by cigarette kisses. Like all of my notes are from the beginning of the show. I was starting to make notes of just all the accent. I'm going to call it accent work going on, but it's really just stereotypes. It's a bunch of Scott McNeil doing character voices uh, to fill out the background cast, like him playing a Chinese guy or an Irishman or the Italian mob. As you do. There are definitely some aged stereotypes in that collection of stuff. It is for sure a very brave uh, idea to have the black man and the old Nazi, the World War II Nazi, speak together. Oh man, that was good. That was a very interesting scene. Dutch was so calm and patient, but he still didn't want to put up with any of the bullshit. God, I forgot the absolute cuttingness of, my god, you are a very strong and incredible individual. It's a shame you're black. Well, fuck you too, you Nazi piece of shit. Yeah, there are, I I guess it would be slurs that would be exchanged at that point, because I I think this one was just in the sub, because I was comparing against it, but in English he calls him Swartzen, for German, which is just the word for a thing that's black, right? Uh, In Japanese he calls him Jungle Bunny, which, uh, that's especially, that's... These things aren't okay. That 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 uh, alone sounds super offensive. I, it's colorful. It's it, it's a unique choice, but it's not okay. I will at least give some benefit to the doubt and say I think some of the worst ones are said by the worst people. Because I I think about like Chaka at the end of Second Barrage, and it's like, oh, 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 he is just actually scum. So that makes what his fate is finally met all the more satisfying. Oh, there, there, there's some usage in here that is very much in the line of like, um, it's a it, you're you're watching a 1970s black exploitation movie, and we we need to really emphasize who the scummy white people are. Oh, look, a convenient word they can call the protagonist. How useful! It's like the English language version of establishing somebody's a monster in like the. What is the one word that is basically, like, the equivalent of, like, shooting a puppy or something like that? Uh, well, there's a couple six-letter slurs that I won't repeat that this show <laughs> <is>. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. 
Not the Nazi one, but the other ones. We're not going to say that they are, like, good to use, but I think in the context of these are terrible people, and it is establishing that these are terrible people who can and will get their just desserts. Like the Nazis. I'm also going to add this little fact. From a licensing and release standpoint, Genion didn't originally license and release Roberta's Blood Trail. So when Funimation picked it up and rescued Black Lagoon, they also snagged Roberta's Blood Trail and gave it a brand new dub and sent it to Ocean for them to dub. And they brought the cast back, which was, I think, this Roberta's Blood Trail and um, the latter episodes of the Helsing Ultimate series because you know, because of how that one was structured and released um and the fact that they brought back the original cast for both of these um like kudos man kudos on there man watching this again i realized how much overlap there must have been between the black lagoon cruise and the helsing ultimate cruise it's kind of wild in terms of production right in terms of production and in terms of just how the show looks like you could put unhinged, tripping her fucking balls off Roberta into Helsing Ultimate. Oh, and she would she, fit right in. She basically is like a palette slop whip, Rip Van Winkle when you really think about it. I have some more uh, ADR points as well. To be critical for a minute, because I was in the early episodes, I was noticing a lot of the lip sync was fairly off. For example, and this is back in the days of recording on tape, so some of that's to be expected. But on the writing as well, I could, I could hear the Japanese-ness, like the Japanese grammar and sentence structure, in behind a lot of the dialogue early on, and that evened out and became more natural eventually. But there was like a lot of repeated words and common phrases, passive voice. You know, since uh, Katarina pointed out. It can't be helped, or uh, Shogunai, that kind of stuff. These are the kinds of like stock phrases that are uh, ruining my brain now. <laughs> Sometimes it's not good to know how the sausage gets made. Sometimes you just see sausage everywhere. Yeah, that's. I remember like one of my film theory classes I took was like, okay, if you like movies and you want to not be that guy for the rest of your life, drop this course, okay? Okay. It's too late for us. Which is fair. But you know what? It does make you appreciate when the sausage is made to a really damn good degree. And you know what? Even as a product of this time, I'm still going to flat out say the Double Black Lagoon holds up way better than I was expecting it to, and for that I'm very happy. Yeah, this, this, it feels like for, for the kind of show it is and when it was made, this could have been a lot worse. Oh yeah, 100%. If, if, if anything, I think I was surprised. It's like, you know, there isn't nearly as much dated language in here as I was expecting. Alright, points in your favor, I guess. Good for you. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most, like, foul-mouthed, colorful English scripts I've ever heard. And my god, the cast is... Honestly, genuinely, these are some of, like the best performances I've ever heard. Some of them I remember, like, being really good, but a couple characters I either forgot about or didn't give as much time of day to really, like, sing their praises as I did this time, because there's a couple in here that are, like, some real all-timers. And let me tell you, folks, as we're going through the t uh, tonight, 
I want you to know the majority of the people we're going to be talking about have either voiced your childhood or your ex-brony obsession that you're too afraid to talk about there or have repressed. So with that, I think I'm ready to talk about our first group of characters. Starting us off, uh, we have uh, Janet Bai, Hansel and Gretel, Yukio Washimine, and Ginji Matsuzaki, and Fabiola. Uh, Janet is somebody who is making fake money that gets in real deep shit, and then everybody puts a bounty on her, and then she shags Benny. Yes, she does! Hansel and Gretel are very upsetting. Extremely upsetting. They are, uh, forgotten Romanian orphans that were effectively put into the market of perverts, pornographers and snuff filmmakers and turned them into psychotic uh dissociative identity disordered uh psycho murderers who hate and hate some more yukio is a head of a failing yakuza group who decides to take up the mantle because the council will only accept a blood relative and ginji is her manslayer who is loyal to her to a fault and fabiola is the Lovelace family's new maid, courtesy of Roberta's Blood Trail. Hardy, I remember when we were discussing this, you asked me to mention one of two things. One, I was not able to put down a lot of credits for Barbie, because a lot of these people have done stuff like Barbie and, like, Lego stuff, but I'm not as familiar with those. The Canadian voice actor industry is a lot of children's cartoons. It's a lot of children's cartoons. Uh, I lost my mind over some of these, but what I will promise you is anytime I found somebody was in My Little Pony, they will come up. So, starting us off, uh, Janet Bai is played by one Kelly Sheridan, who has played characters like Leona in Dragon Quest, The Adventures of Dai. Nana? Nana. Nana. Nana Komatsu, aka Hachi in Nana. Shino Nanao in Dot Hack Roots, Starlight Glimmer, among many other additional ponies, in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and probably even more famous than that, Sango in Inuyasha. Uh, Hansel, the masculine one, is Ashley Ball, who has played Layla Serizawa in Nana, Yukari Hirai in Shakugan no Shana Season 1, Mary Test in Johnny Test, Miles Per Hour, a.k.a. Tails, in Sonic Pride, and both, yes both, Rainbow Dash and Applejack in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Gretel is played by one Jocelyn Lowen, who has played Milfu Sakuraba in Galaxy Angel, Penelope in Hamtaro, I discovered a lot more Hamtaro voice actors in this than I was expecting, Yayamano in Mega Man Anti-Warrior, Meryl in the Escaflone Ocean dub, the original one before the Funimation redub, and Kagura in the Gintama Ocean Crunchyroll dub, as well as one of three voice actors to reprise for the Eleven Arts produced at Sentai Studios dub for Gintama the Very Final, because it's a mostly Houston cast, but it's got Kagura, the guy with glasses, and Gintoki, from the ocean dub back for that. It's wild. It would be fun to cover Gintama, but it's also a fucking mess. <laughs> Which one is the question? And then nobody ever does it because they don't want to play that game. 
Yukio Washimine is played by Lelena Lindbergh, who has played characters like Stella Lucier in Mobile Suit Gundam Sea Destiny, the Ocean Dub, Bassette in Dot Hack Roots, a new returner, gotta love Gundam names in Gundam Double O, Venus de Milo in Ninja Turtles The Next Mutation, which was a 90s live action Ninja oh. Turtle series. Oh, yeah, I watched yeah, that. No, this is the, the, the third or fourth movie that no one yeah. likes to acknowledge exists. These are the live-action movies. I only knew about that movie from a Professor Thorgy video. And she is Bulma in the ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z. Wow, that goes way back. Genji is played by Michael Adam Thwaite, who has played characters like Ray Penber in Death Note, uh, Toshiro Hijikata in the Gintama ocean dub, Nanashi, aka No Name, in Sword of the Stranger, Kazunao Yamada in Keys Niver, and here's a fun one I discovered. He's the merchant in the RE4 remake. Huh. Mm. Okay. He's the what are you buying, what are you selling in the new RE4. And finally, Fabiola is Shannon Chan Kent, who has played Miyuki Kono in The Girl Who Left for Time, Christina Sierra in Mobile Suit Gundam 00, Amy Rose in Sonic Prime, Misa Amane in Death Note, and Pinkamina Diane Pie, otherwise known as Pinkie Pie in My Little Pony. Friendship is magic. Tonight's gonna be fucking fun, ladies and gentlemen. Andrew, I didn't know Pinkie Pie had a real name. Why would you curse me with this knowledge? I go through life content not knowing anything, and look what you've done. Guess what? Suck my dick. Now you know Pinkie Pie's real name. Deal with it. Yeah. Fun Jesus fact. Christ. Fun fact. Shannon was actually in the first live-action Sonic movie as the waitress at the bar. Oh. I believe that. I discovered how many of these people were, like, in Hollywood movies as, like, bit parts and stuff. Yeah, because they're all filmed over in Vancouver. <laughs> all of them. Did you know that a bunch of people in this cast are just bit characters in Sausage Party? Yes. Yeah, that sounds yes, right. Do you did. remember Sausage Party? Chibiusa plays a horny hot dog bun. Yep. It's fucked up. It's wild. <laughs> Anyways, we could get lost in this, but that's a lot of the fun fact. I, I lost my mind doing all this research, but with that, let's talk about these characters and their performance. Who wants to go first? The twins upset me. <laughs> the yeah. twins upset me so much. So, here's the thing. It was very interesting watching Hansel and Gretel during that arc, because I think towards the end of it, I went to Andrew, and I'm like, this is the same person, right? They're playing both voices. He's like, no, it's two different people. I'm like, wait, what? Because re like when you think about it in most dubbing cases, if you're voicing someone who has, like who shifts into multiple voices, you would think that the same person would do that because Hansel can seamlessly transition into being Gretel and Gretel can tra like seamlessly transition into Hansel. So my brain was like, are, are these this, is this one person playing both these characters? And Andrew told me, no. Okay, weird, why not? This isn't, this isn't saying that the performances for, um, for both Ashley and Jocelyn were bad in any way. I'm just like, Huh? Because you would think in, in a modern dub, in a modern dub, person. it would be the same person, right? Or am I wrong? 
it is essentially casting twins, and I think we've been critical before of when the twin is played by the same person. Yeah, no, because that's what you've seen in more modern dubs. But the fact that they can transition into those personalities seamlessly, and the two different voices are two different people, instead of like one person shifting their tone of voice to like go for the other one. I don't know why, it's just very, it's a very interesting choice to me. But maybe it's because I've been... I don't know necessarily... You're used to them doing that. I'm used to one person playing two people. Maybe that's why. But to me, if anything, I think it speaks to their talent that you genuinely weren't even sure mm. if they were, in fact, the same person oh, or not going 100%. through it. Ashley and Jocelyn are incredible as these very upsetting, very fucked up, but very terrifying children. I feel like when I watched the show originally, if you asked me what I think my favorite arc of the Black Lagoon anime was, I would have told you the Vampire Twins. It is upsetting. It is dark. It is the darkest this show ever goes. I look back at this with the context that the author of Black Lagoon has been dealing and fighting with depression for years, and that's why the series was on hiatus for a while. And going through the series again with that context, it's like, yeah, yeah, I fucking see it in everything now. Everything about these twins is genuinely so upsetting and heartbreaking, but it's like... I feel the fact that the show doesn't shy away from the story and subject matter that it's like, oh, they were basically just ripped of their innocence. Alright. I'm going to play a card. Uh -oh. I get one free card I can play. The political card. Great. Why? Because their whole story is that they were brought up in, like, a regime that basically banned abortion because it effectively wanted a forever giant workforce of disposable, expendable people. Mm. But once that regime was... Once that regime was overturned, once the policy was gone... The children that were abandoned are still there, and there's something as cruel and damning as... It's not about protecting the life that is born, because after they're born, you're basically telling them to get bent. And that's kind of what happens to both Hansel and Gretel, or Partolomeo and Sotomeo, is that how they say it? Yeah, the words for brother and sister. Oh, is that what it is, brother and sister? But everything about them is, like, hyper-violent, psychosexual in a way that it's like... The sheer act of kindness to them, like when even shown just the littlest bit of kindness and sympathy from them, mm -hmm. the fact that like what is presumably Gretel sees the kindness she is given from Rock and it's like, that's very nice for you, mister. Here, let me show you something cool and just like exposes herself and he's just absolutely like sickened and disgusted that this is what happened to these kids and it breaks your heart. Ashley and Jocelyn are so fucking good and so upsetting. Everything about these kids is upsetting. And the world of Midnight Song breaks my heart every time. Like, it made me cry when I first watched it. It's still... I, I, th I think, um... I can tell you my favorite moments with these two characters involve their deaths. Because with Hansel... But dear sweet Lord Balalaika was scary that point. And I think it le the performance between Balalaika as well as Ashley like really sold that scene for me. 
But I think the more gut-wrenching one was definitely Gretel. And Jocelyn, getting off the boat, she's happy to see the blue sky, gets shot, and ends up just laying on the dock, just looking up the sky as she as she dies. Jesus, it was it was a gut punch. And then Rock's reaction, don't get a tarp. Let's just let her look at the sky. Because all she saw was a gray, sky, mm-hmm. cloudy sky yeah. and walls that the eye could see. Yep. And also just the kid's dying breath is like they fucked with the wrong person. And they they I want to give them a plaque that says something like um achievements in playing upsetting twins. Yeah, hundred percent. Also, a- Andrew, you've reminded me of something I, I realized while I was watching this, which is that I've seen I've seen two anime that are uh, about like small scale long term effects of the Soviet Union imploding. And it's not weird that there are two of them, but it is weird that it, the two of them are Black Lagoon and Monster, which are not really series I think about in the same context that often. <laughs> yep. It's a small world, Isn't after it? all. Netflix, re- Netflix released the fucking English dub of Monster. I know it's a pain in the ass to figure out, but please do it. Also, I, I don't credit a lot of them, because I wasn't sure if they were one-off characters or not. Hardy, I just wanted to mention doing a lot of research, it was fun discovering how many people in this were in the Master Keaton dub. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, Ted Cole shows up as a few background characters, especially in the Yakuza arc a few times. I can believe that, yeah. Yeah, I don't have too much to say on on the twins. Like, they're not terribly convincing as children, the child voices uh, that they're going with, but they get across a creepy well enough just because they're so detached from the violence that's going on around them. Like, she, she's got a fucking, like, machine gun that is just mowing down people and just has the little, like, teddy bear keychain on but it. They're essentially playing a game. Mm-hmm. At one point, they disguise a- another child as them, a little street rat that they paid off and sent to their death. And they're like, oh, I feel bad. Oh, well. Sucks to suck. Sucks to suck! Uh, yeah, the fact that they can, they switch between who gets to play the brother and who gets to play the sister constantly. That's, that has some implications of what they've been through. Oh, I, I feel like I remembered it being explicitly said. But I think that was more inferred in the subtext than I remembered it. I, I don't think I recalled the snuff angle to this child sex trafficking plot. Yeah, it, it's an important angle to it because that's how they got in this. Like, there's something very upsetting how they go to the guy who runs, like, the strip club where is like, I asked him to look up kitty snuff films from Romanian twins and I got like 230 results and I watched it all for two days to find what I was looking for and I'm like Jesus fucking Christ and all of this started because the twins were hired for money to go off Bellalaika yeah and it set off her clapback that went uh, totally scorched her because they killed her men yeah she those are highly trained soldiers and each one of them is a valuable resource and a comrade, etc., etc. I will say this. I will. I will say this about Ashley Ball. She is hit or miss for me, because a lot of the times her voice will crack on certain characters, and it just drives me up a wall. It hits my uh, my misophonia really bad. I didn't hear it from her this time, so that's a plus. Well, that's good. That's impressive, especially considering like the dichotomy that is these characters flip flopping between each other. Yeah, I, I think she also played Yukio's classmate in the Yakuza arc as well. 
Um, yeah, she did. The one that was complaining about her mom getting on her butt about stuff. Right. And then Yukio does the whole, like, uh, your mom just really cares about you. Live a good life. Your problems are so minor compared to mine. <laughs> and then here comes Genji with rolling up with the squad to pick up Yukio and basically traumatizing that girl. Uh <laughs> You know what? I was going to go into Janet, but fuck it. We're here. Let's go down to Yakuza Town, everybody. Oh boy. Or as they call it Kabuki Cho. I'm at this point where I recognize the Kabuki Cho like sign as you enter the town now it's, in it's anime. Ter- it's I've learned I see case in point me feel like I can appreciate this more. I've played like eight Yakuza games since since, you know, the last time I tried to watch this. I highly recommend it. You'll know so much more about this arc. I guess, I guess I would start with Ginji of the two, which you can tell something's gonna end in a tragedy when they're out of the game and they're hired on or they come back for one last job. He was two days away from retirement. He was out and they pulled him back in. We're back in. Never hire Russians. Never hire Russians for your uh, community squabbles. No, no, it's not never hire Russians. Just don't hire Bella Laika. Bella Laika's a different breed. Andrew. Never hire Soviet war fetishists. That's going to end badly for everybody. But <laughs> going on Ginji, I like Michael's like strong commanding voice as what I can only describe as like... What if younger Tagora was also Kenshin? I, I look at him and he literally just looks like Tagoro from Yu Yu Hakusho to me. And I don't know if anybody else sees that or if that's just me. No, it's, it's the sunglasses. He definitely feels like when, when they go to Japan, they're, they are running into different genre stereotypes. But I, Michael has like this really like cool, strong commandingness to him. But you also see, like, when the mask does slip off at the end, when he finally gets the showdown, and it's like you can see the joy and revelry he has in the violence, that for a moment he forgets his duty, he forgets his loyalty to Yu-Gi-Oh, and it's just like, I'm gonna take this dance to hell, and I want to dance it with you, partner. At some point, I forget what the line is but uh it's something like you have the same smell of death about you that i do it's a very much game recognized game when he meets revy also he does the bo- he does the thing he does the what? Th- he does a lot of things what thing are we talking about it's probably the part that makes Re- revy a little wet uh <laughs> is when he cuts the bullet in half for uh, lack of better phrasing, no, no. yeah, you're correct. Okay, if Jackson didn't say Sorry, it... Sorry, more than a little wet. Okay, if Jackson didn't <laughs> say it, I would have. Like, there's no other way to describe it other than... And oh, you're sh- telling me that my comment about Revy being yes, yes, quite fight sexual, sexual was incorrect. Yeah. Yes, yes, your point has been made. Thank you. See, the problem was you compared him to a pedophile with a gloating penis. That's the difference. So, yeah. I'm just talking about... Hisoka's love of like kicking everybody's asses because it gets him off. That's it. No, no, no. You're just because you're correct doesn't mean you're right. Oh, but no, I really like Michael in particular. I think he's got a very strong voice as Genji. And then, oh Yukio, everything about Yukio is equally as upsetting, but for different reasons than the twins. She gets in over her head. She really does. I think. There's a lot of strong things to her performance, kind of like the 
quiet schoolgirl realizing she has what it takes to be part of the, the night. But I think my favorite part of her character and her performance is the moment where the little bookworm reads our buddy Rock like a fucking textbook. Calls him out on all this fence-sitting bullshit. Because the entirety of the Yakuza arc is effectively Rock projecting onto Yukio. And her calling it out and clapping back is just an absolutely chilling, fucked up moment. It's like you are on the edge of the twilight. You ride this air of darkness, but you pretend that you are still in the light because you are too afraid and cowardly to lose that light. You can go back, but you don't want to. What a privileged position that you have that you can preach to me. And tell me what I should be doing when I am stuck here. Ray Hiraway, if he was just the cool guy doing cool things author, we wouldn't be having this episode. No, that man is an incredible character writer. That's why I want a recreator ep- Recreator's dub so fucking bad? Because it's effectively what if the Black Lagoon author made his own fate stay night fan fiction and it's good yeah the, the best saber from fate and madoka magica slash fanfic i've ever written or read it's so good it's so good anyways uh lelena as yukio like that's like my to be the highlight of her performance absolutely chilling rocked me to my core this schoolgirl who's way in over her head and then has the uh tragic uh Shakespearean end to it all. It's just so good, so good. So yeah, what do you think? Yeah, they are interesting as foils to Revy and Rock at this point in the story. We've talked about uh, Michael Lamthwaite before when we covered uh, Sword of the Stranger. And he was fairly charming in that. And this is similar to the no-name swordsman, but is carrying a lot more darkness with him in there. Yukiko's definitely an interesting character for the reasons we've talked about. I wasn't super impressed by the voice acting on this, but it was, I'm going to uh, say serviceable and totally fine for the majority of it. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, the cut in the bowl and shit was cool as hell. Also, Chaka's end was very cathartic. Yeah, fuck that dude. <laughs> yeah, fuck that dude. Fuck that guy. Cut his, ha- cut his hands off and make him drown. Threw him in a pool wh- while he can't swim. And just to be sure, just put your uh, sheath over him and hold him down underwater. Yeah, make sure he can't get out of the pool. It's fine. Chaka has... He had it coming. I've got to tell on myself for a second, but fuck it. We all know what we're about here tonight. Chaka's got the energy of that guy who, like, fucks somebody's girlfriend in that doujin and has all the gross tags that you try to avoid in it. He's that guy in those doujins. And Revy's having none of that. Nobody is impressed by his bullshit. (laughs) And that upsets him, which is why he goes on on a murder spree slash sexual violence spree. Shit's bleak, man. I like, uh, I do, I do like Michael Adam Thwaites' voice, but that's just in general... He gets to play this great big old dude. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. They they, they both they both turn in really good performances. Like this is a uh, my understanding is in if you read the manga, this arc comes later in the story. But they clearly pulled it up here because they realized this would be a really good ending for what Ripper's Blood Trail side ended up being like the end of the anime. 
They're really good, and this this actually feels like a good example of what I was talking about, how I, I'm happy I watched this now and not when I was younger. Because to, to take you on a little tangent, when I first saw this in college, uh, like, I enjoyed, like, the handful of episodes I saw, but I was like, what's with this fucking ending? Like, it's just, just sad, tuneless dirge while Revy's walking on a beach. Like, what's the point here? And then I saw a lot of Asian action movies that have very unambiguously, like, just sad, bleak, no one gets what they want endings, and I was like, oh... Oh, I get it now. Oh, okay. It's it's that one it's that one scene from It's Always Sunny with uh Danny DeVito. Oh my god. I get it There's now. A, if you if you excuse me for spoiling a movie that's literally as old as I am, there is a um John Woo movie I like called The Killer. John Woo might come up again tonight. Yeah, no, he, he definitely will, but uh my 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 overriding memory of that movie is what is one of the last scenes where um a big fight's happened, and it's um, Chow Yun-Fat and the lady playing his, like, love interest, basically. It basically ends in the only way that this uh, relationship could, which is Chow Yun-Fat is dead and is bled to death. And his girlfriend, who, um, I think, like, an explosion went off in her face or something, like, she can't see anymore. She's just crawling around on the ground trying to find him because she doesn't know he's passed already. Oh, she got balalaika'd. Yeah, mm. no, and, like, that's the end of their story. That's it. Sucks to be you. Yeah, um... Sucks to suck? I think the minute, like, you know, the minute that they, they like, get in the truck and start fucking around at the end, it's like, man, I, uh, I like these two. Man. I've seen enough. I, I, I've seen enough of these. When they start their uh, Bonnie and Clyde story. Yep. Oh, I, I know how that movie ends. Th that last arc and, and continuing into Roberta's blood trail is a lot of, like, uh, Rock having to have it drilled into his head that there are no happy endings in this world. And maybe you need to cut that out. And the only way to get the happy ending is to manipulate people emotionally and mentally. <laughs> so I guess we could just kind of lump these last two together, because these two cuties are very much over their heads and out of their element in regards to both uh, Janet and Fabiola. Oh, Janet gets in way over her goddamn head. Are you kidding me? Oh, she's a girl that you can tell, like, she's she's part of the crime world, but she's like the IT team. She's not really about the guns and violence, but she's also like, ah, oh, shit, I, I want to do my job good. It's not my fault. You're a bunch of filthy plebeians who don't see the quality of my work. I'm an artiste. Yeah. I is artiste. Good art takes time. Y'all don't appreciate that. And then she bangs then she bangs our favorite Florida man. Mr. Benny has a very lucky day. Like, you know what? Good for them. Good for Benny. I don't have a lot to say about Greenback Jane. It's the most lighthearted part of the show, which is a weird thing to hey when they introduce a bunch of psycho bounty hunters that are killers and yeah. maimers and body disposal people. Like it, it is the arc that is definitely it is the needed breather after everything with the twins because they introduce a bunch of weird colorful characters some that are going to be mainstays and very popular like sawyer the cleaner and the fucking edgelord chuny guy as well as the one-offs who make their time last like the guy i just call anime hank hill yeah the guy that killed his wife now, now that's not accurate because this that guy can't drink. You know Hank can't go a day without his Alamo beer. <laughs> if Hank had his beer and a fucking flamethrower like that, he could really show how good his propane is <laughs> to a new demographic of people. Are you insinuating that Peggy burnt for like five minutes? 
and it was the cleanest burn anyone had ever seen. Takes the meat, not the heat. I've actually compared Kelly Sheridan a lot in the past to the Canadian Colory Walgren. Oh yeah, I remember you saying that before. I can hear it. But anyways, her arc was very welcome in addition to the sort of bleak arcs that both proceed and follow it. But yeah, the um, the Greenback Jane arc was fun, and I think Kelly Sheridan played her character very well. Uh, we got a few upskirt shots, which is always nice. <laughs> Fan service in this show? It's more common than it's you think. It's more likely than you think. Yes. <laughs> oh, I did have one line in there. Because this is where the silly Florida men come in from out of town, and Oh, and they yeah. get in over their head because this is Roranaper. The fucking bounty. And they've the- got a bunch of band hires. And there's the guy in his hospital bed after getting beat up who's like, I'm going back to civilized Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, The oh. fucking bounty hunters got pissed because all they were going to get was like, what, a thousand bucks for... Uh, for They're like, do you know job? where the fuck we are, mate? So like, what the fuck are you talking about, bro? Like, uh, do you know how this works around stupid here? Stupid Americans. That's not how shit works here. Stupid Floridians. You don't fucking understand how this works. That was very funny. No, I think that arc is very fun and delightful, even if I don't have a lot to say about Jane. She's got a good presence and chemistry with characters when she's there. Thank, I- thank God this did come up. This arc did happen after the upsetting, the upsetting thing that was the twist. You need a little breather every now and then. And that was the arc that really established uh, Revy and Ada's uh, yes. romance. <laughs> Fucking Ada. Where I, I personally had the discussion on here where... I think Revy and Ada have fucked, not because they were horny, but because they needed to prove which one was the top, and the results were inconclusive. Yeah, Ada looks good out of the nun uniform. Oh god, yes, yeah, she looks like Just huge balloons on her. God, the girls in the show are really hot. With huge tracks of land. That tank top is not helping. <laughs> but also there's some cuties too. Including Fabiola, which she is a delight in the show. Like, she's a new addition for uh, Blood Trail, but God, she's a delightful addition, especially when she's bouncing off of Garcia, and especially when she is... When she tussles with Revy. Yeah, because she tussles with Revy, and the thing that's that's great about a lot of these characters is that a lot of these characters are interesting, but they're also full of their own bullshit, and it's really compelling when somebody from out of town reads their entire shtick like they're the fucking dictionary. And when Fabiola effectively reads both Rock and Revy at the end of that, it is a very satisfying moment. Because you can tell Revy is really shaken upset. What a difference having a loving family makes. <laughs> what a difference having a loving family makes fuck it like you could tell that's the one that really pissed her off like i was just saying with the outer towner florida men who get in over their heads fabula comes in and holds her own against the city of ryan and her she comes in and sees it for for the bullshit that it is and things that don't have to be this way yeah and like that's the thing that kind of like in the end i feel like her and garcia wind up being like the strongest characters at the end because they kind of walk out of it with their morals and with their worldview intact. 
and all of their limbs, too. And, okay, all of their limbs, not yeah. necessarily uh, Roberta's. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, but no, I, I think Shannon is absolutely adorable and precious as this, like, cute little girl who's kind of got her own, like, capoeira and stuff going for her. Knife in the boot? Oh! Boot knife! Boot. Oh! Oh, it's so, it's so fun getting a reprise of the Colombian bar scene versus a maid. Boot knife oh, to the ball. Oh, that one is so painful. And you, I love, like, the dainty way she does it and, like, puts the knife back in there. Did anyone catch who uh, did that scream when they got stabbed in the taint? No. When they got stabbed in the cojones, yes. No. I don't remember, but they did a good job, and you could feel the pain in that. But, no, Shannon is... Honestly, like, she wound up being, like, the biggest surprise to this, because I didn't really remember Le- Roberta's blood trail as much as the first two. And, no, Shannon is absolutely delightful and really, really good. And she is played expertly by the legendary Pinkamina Diane Pie. Yeah, shut the fuck up with that. Was it just me? Because my memory was definitely playing tricks on me, because I remembered Roberta's blood trail came after the license rescue by Funimation. Uh, and we got to Fabiola, and I was like, Is it, isn't that just Jade Saxton? No, it's not. Which got me thinking that it was, uh, like, some of it had been produced in Texas, and they added a, a new voice actor from their crew. But no, it was all shipped over to Canada, and it was wholly recorded there. To be fair, when we watched Roberto's Blood Trail, and in the first episode of it, there was this, in the, um, in the early flashback scene in fucking Vietnam in the 60s, where I, I look at Andrew and I'm like, why does that sound like Clifford Chapin to me? I don't know why. I had, a, I had another like voice similarity, like wh- Rock's boss. I thought that was Jameson Price. Now it's uh, a guy named Ross Douglas. Great voice on him. Surprise! <laughs> I'm on Hardy. The Shannon Chan Kent as Fabiola did a really good job as the mini-maid and mini-maid if i could say her spanish is actually pretty good there's a lot of like the actual vas voicing a foreign language in this that is a lot better than i was expecting yeah it's not just them uh, repeating things phonetically <laughs> that's it for me okay i'm on uh kelly's a goddamn delight <laughs> thank you I don't have anything too much else to say about Shannon that, as already said, she is very good, and the little bit that I want to is has enough to do with her conversing with Rock, but I want to save that for that discussion later. She's really good, though. I I know we're probably not that likely to get more Black Lagoon at this point for various reasons, and I get the impression Fabiola probably doesn't show up much more anyways, uh, but if we did, that would be nice. She's Shannon's really fun to listen to. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to... Our most critical supporting cast. The recurring supporting cast. The recurring supporting cast. So we got uh, Balalaika, Ada, Shenghua, Mr. Chang, Roberta, and Garcia. Balalaika is a discharged, disgraced Soviet officer who left after a failed mission in Afghanistan and basically got discouraged and still wants a war she is ready for war but all of her paratroopers have followed her to the criminal underworld and will follow her hell or high water then there's ada who is basically like a uh scummy nun who is actually a cia operative out of good old us of a shenghua is a uh, chinese assassin uh mr chang is a the leader of the triad in uh, Rowanapur, 
and is also a disgraced uh, Hong Kong cop who killed his old partner. Then we've got Roberta and Garcia Lovelace. Garcia is the heir to the uh, Lovelace family, one of the 13th most powerful uh, South American families. They are very much a smaller family, but they are guarded by their maid, who is a former revolutionary bloodhound who is now a maid in glasses named Roberta. So... Let's go into who plays these characters, because fuck me, guys, this one's going to be a trip. Let's start us off with, uh, Sheng Wan, and also Sawyer the Cleaner, because Sawyer doesn't talk much, but it is played by the same VA. Uh, they are played by Saffron Henderson, who's played characters like Sachiko Yagami in Death Note, the voice of Kid Goku and Kid Gohan in the ocean dub of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, Lucrezia Noeen in Mobile Suit Gundam Wing, Oxnerd in Hamtaro, and a character named Teddy Safari in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Mr. Chang is played by Trevor Duvall, who's played characters like James Coleman in The Great Pretender, Himuro in Agretzko Season 4, Rocket Raccoon in Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, Shuichi Aizawa in Death Note, and both Thunderlane and Iron Will in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. Garcia Lovelace is one Kathy Wesselock, who's played Yuma Kuga in World Trigger, Katy Mannequin in Mobile Suit Gundam 00, Nier in Death Note. Oh, okay. Uh, is the voice of Spike the Dragon in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, and Rarity in My Little Pony Gen 3, aka the generation of My Little Pony media prior to Friendship is Magic and Lauren Faust. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I brought up a couple of Gen 3 years who played characters I recognized. Anyway, who played like a character I didn't recognize from Friendship is Magic, I didn't feel like going into, because I'm not that far gone. And now let's get into Tabitha St. Germain as Roberta, which is where I start losing my fucking mind and realizing this woman voiced my fucking childhood. Rubs hands oh greedily. <laughs> uh, she's played Soma Perrys in Mobile Suit Gundam 00. She is the original voice of Shauna in Shakugan no Shauna Season 1. Shut up, shut up, shut up. She is the voice of Ivy, a.k.a. Snake from the Gangreed Gang in Powerpuff Girls Z, which was how I discovered that apparently Snake was made into a girl in the dub of Powerpuff Girls Z? So they trans Snake? Which is a wild sentence to say, but whatever. She's also Penny Plutonium in Mucha Lucha? Oh! I was like, that, why is Mucha... Yeah, like, wow, that's one of the side okay. characters. Like, yeah. I actually recognize that one. I recognize that. And I didn't know that she was Scary Godmother in Scary Godmother? <laughs> and we haven't even gone to My Little Pony, where she's Rarity, which I need to take the time to mention. Hey, guess what? Spike the Dragon has a crush on Rarity. Just bringing that up for a second. For no particular reason. For no particular reason. Oh, God. She's also Princess Luna. She's also Granny Smith. 
She's also Derpy Hooves and like 80 other named characters and bit parts in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. This woman's insane. I can't believe how much work she's done. We're going to have fun talking about Tabitha St. Germain and we're not even done yet. Ada is one Lisa Ann Belly, who has played Hallie Lindner in Death Note, Cat Ryan in Matt Steele, Shishomaru's mom in Inuyasha The Final Act, Sumeragi Lee Noriega in Mobile Suit Gundam 00, and Relina Darlian, which, is that the one who invites him to the party? Is it from, one of these is characters? It from Gundam Wing? Yes! Yes, yes. this is... Yes, so that's the girl who invites him to the p birthday party, and then he rips it up and says, I'll kill you. That's who plays Ada. Okay. And finally, Patricia Drake, who has played Koyuki Inu Inuyasha, Miss Millionaire in Mega Man Anti-Warrior, Soria in Ninjago, BB Love in Dead Rising 2, and Twilight Velvet, aka Twilight Sparkle's mom, in My Little Pony, Friendship is... Magic. Okay. That's Bella Laika, right? Yes. Okay. I'd say we start this in groups of two. That's a good way to go through it. Let's start with, uh, I guess, Shenguan, Sawyer, and Chang. How's about that? Okay. Oh, Shenhua. This would not go well today. No, not even in the slightest. No, it... I'm not going to say it doesn't work. Because it does kind of work for the tone they're going for for the show. And she's got a couple of lines that did make me giggle. Oh, she has some fun one-liners. Boy. It would not fly today. Oh, boy, you could tell. If this was less of a developed character, this would not fly. No. Yes. If, yeah. if they had this performance coming out of an actual Chinese actress, I would have no reservations. Like, what a delight. Interestingly, I, I was curious, because I wasn't sure, I decided to see if I could, um... I actually tracked down an interview, like, some dude made with Saffron, like, sometime last couple of years, and they brought oh, up... Oh, no shit, okay. And they brought up, um, Shen Huan, and she was like, oh, no, no, no. No, like... <laughs> Let us speak no further. No, like, this. very, very... It was very <laughs> much like, you know, I was, I was, you know, I was proud of at the time, etc., even at the time, I was a little uncomfortable, though, and, like, if Black Lagoon comes back, I am perfectly happy to lose that role to an actual Asian person. Like, by all means, go ahead. I am not offended. Good. Good, that's fair. That mm -hmm. is fair. I'm, I'm glad she has an actual name and not what Revy calls her, because I didn't want to say that name <laughs> on, on recording. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten she had an actual name. <laughs> I'll tell you how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, instead of um, the C one. Also, just because it's only really going to be talked about briefly because Sawyer is a character who had her throat ripped out and talks through the little uh, device that, like, smokers who have their whole their throat... Yeah, that larynx speaking device. It may surprise you all to know that Sawyer is, in fact, a very popular character. That doesn't surprise me in the least bit. The awkward goth girl who, in fact, kills people with a giant chainsaw? Just, just to be clear... Mr. Claire, are you being sarcastic, or do we just hang out on very different parts of the internet? Jared, I'm being so fucking sarcastic. I'm disappointed you can't read my sarcasm. <laughs> look, some people are surprised to learn that, like... Look, there are a lot of people out there who want to bone Jason Voorhees, and it's not despite him being in a big over-muscled undead person. That's why they want to bone him, you know? And some people don't get that. That's how it is. Well, I mean... And I'm disappointed in you. Do you not pay attention to the porn I post? Do you not see the big goth titty GFs that I am posting in there? 
It's just Hexmaniac. I wanted to be sure. You should know me better. I, I'm offended for you as my friend. That my apologies for underestimating you. <laughs> before, before Amon can point it out, uh, the little dance she does after she loses her, uh, her mic is the same dance as Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, really? Is it really? Yeah. That's that's interesting. That's a fun little Easter egg. So, so people with chainsaws communicate they're frustrated. But anyways, yeah, Shenhua could not get through uh, today in this dub, but it's entertaining for what it is. I think they do a good job, but it is definitely the most dated thing about this dub. And it's not for lack of talent, it's just for the choice that was made. Yeah, you, you could do a version of this character very easily. It's a femme fatale with knives in a Chinese dress. That's easy. That's it's easy It's so points. easy to make that work. It's just that level of like... To be fair, she did have broken English in the manga as well. So, that is accurate. I, I, it is not inaccurate. It is just a choice. A choice I don't think any of us would want to make in year of our current year. Not in a post-everything-everywhere-all-at-once world. We've seen how to do this properly. Can I, I will just... say, if there is... Yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. I was actually going to shift to another character if you still have more I was going to shift one. to I was going to shift to Mr. Chang actually cuz Oh, cool. Low-key coolest dude in the show, and I will stand by that. So, bro, he's <laughs> I did not remember this character at all, so definitely low-key. <laughs> I think that was the biggest thing is that when I was looking through this, I was like, okay, how important is Mr. Chang? Okay, he's, he might he, he might be a little important. He runs this shit. He and then runs it's like, this fucking he shit. He literally runs this shit, and the subplot of the entirety of Roberta's blood trail is that Rock wants to shove it in his fucking face. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Mr. Chang is fucking cool. He's definitely a little diabolical and devious, but you can definitely tell his rivalry with Balalaika is definitely vicious, but like, Vicious in a way that they respect each other. Yeah. Basically, he is every Chow Yun fat character from any given John Woo movie. That's literally who he's based off of. He's uh, he's he's that one gif of Chow Yun fat lighting a, a cigar off of a, like a lit dollar bill or whatever. And doves are in the background. Yeah. Oh God, we'll we'll, we'll get to the uh, the dove feather imagery in a bit. You know he's a cool badass because Revy's got like a schoolgirl crush on him when they get to team up. I was like, oh man, we get to do the thing. Oh, you get to do the thing with the two guns. And we get I to get stand back to back to back and be badasses. Kill guys in a hallway. This is the best day ever. You you can tell she's got like her own like hot or not list in her head when it comes to like the people she interacts with. Yeah, and Trevor gives him a great voice. Uh, he sounds very cool and in control at all times. In fact, I may I may be wrong on this, and while Mr. Chang does curse, I don't think he ever drops an F-bomb. No! He, he is restrained, because I, I guess in a way, that's almost like him showing how confident and in control he thinks he is. Yeah. I, I would believe it. he lets that slip a little bit when he's talking to his backers from the CIA, just because they have him by the balls. Yeah, right. which that's a fun reveal, where it's like, oh, you are strong and in control, because we make you look strong and in control, and he doesn't like that. Yeah, no, he's not the biggest fan of that. Something, something, follow the money. 
Pretty much. Pretty much. But, man, this was a character I did forget about a little. Not because he isn't cool and important, but because... Let's put it like this. The show is dominated by how hot, scary, and fucking cool all the ladies are in this. <laughs> but, no, Mr. Chang's really cool, and he's got it going for him. And, like, Trevor's got a really, like cool strong commanding voice for him too that he really bounces off of like balalaika and rock and like the rest of the ensemble cast like exceptionally well so yeah uh ama trevor yeah no he's he, i'm trying to think of something salient to say he's just a lot of fun what a what a <laughs> jerk i say that lovingly um yeah, he's just—he's a—he's a, a Chow Yun Fat character, and I, I think Trevor does a really good job, like bringing that out of like he's—he's uh, he's a cool guy, and he's kind of in charge for the most part, uh, and he sucks. But in the way that like every, no one in this series is really a good person, like everyone kind of sucks. No, um, and that's kind of great. That's yeah. one of the great things about it, and uh, you know, Mr. Chang falls right into that. And I think Trevor helps bring that out. Like he—he he is likably awful a lot of the time. I, I appreciate that. He's awful in the way that would make him a good politician. A hundred percent. He—he knows how to wheel him, and he knows how to deal him. Speaking of politicians, Rowanapur doesn't have, seem to have any formal governor, or mayor, or any person in charge. It's just the triad. There, there, there are. There, there's a bunch of organized criminals and you know some kind of truce going on, and that's what it is. There is law enforcement. Nobody's gonna pretend that there isn't like a pup, puppet government run by the yakuza behind the scenes. They just everybody just knows it. There very well could be a puppet government that's just off screen the entire time because yep. it's not important. No, it's not. But you know what? I want to at least shout out before we move on to our next set. Mm. I want to shout out. Sam Vincent as Laden the Wizard? God damn because it! Because there's no way I wasn't going to at least acknowledge the fact that this is a Canadian dub and not mention the fact that my boy Double D is in this dub and he gets to play a Chuny wizard who sucks. Double D also gets to be a heroin addict at one point, basically. Okay, that's just a one-off. This is like a guy who's chuny and trying to look so cool, and he does the whole monologue about how powerful and integral his gun is, and then as the building's falling out, he gets shot by Revy and he just falls down. He also asks the question of, like, going to that top there, that, that, that ladder there. Wouldn't that look cool? Would that look like a cool entrance? I love that Shenhua has just adopted a bunch of like goth hot topic weirdos, and it's like now she is their mom. Yeah, every time every time he tries to make his big monologue, something bad happens. It's, yep. He gets shot off the roof by Revy. Uh, the second time he tries to protect, is it Garcia or Fabiola? It's Fabiola. And then it's Fabiola. Yeah, he's going through his big speech, and then Sawyer just chainsaws through everybody. <laughs> and, and then, he, and then just, he's so just, sad. You just hear he's like, wait, wait. You just hear him so sad as Sawyer does that. He tries to stand up to uh, Roberta and she kicks him in the nuts, so. Yeah! Poor dumb bastard doesn't understand the kind of story he's in. Bless his heart. But you know what? I'm glad he's still alive. Alright. Bloody trail. Okay, so. Garcia is probably the one character in this show who walks out the cleanest out of everyone. Well, he does get shot. But even... With the stink of the city all over him. Crawling through a mile of shit. Crawling through a mile of shit and came out clean on the other side. Because it's, it's very clear that, like, he got as close to a happy ending as he could 
not because of Rock, but almost in spite of him. And I think that's kind of the whole thing, is that I will not let the city swallow me up and chew me out. Yeah. I'm going to do this because this is what I want. I want my family back. 100%. Finding out the spike and rarity thing after the last episode where he does the surprise kiss really does make this fucking wild. Just a little age, age gap romance for flavor. You know, because we already have a bunch of... I'm not checking what Garcia's age is, and don't tell me. <laughs> you can infer... That is for... That is somehow the least worst thing Roberta has done in her life. I am just thinking about the, the scene that... Of the shit that Roberta goes through in Blood Trail, the one that sticks out in my mind is... The one F-bomb dropped in a sexual context. Which uh, has oh, totally yeah. different... Se- Censorship um, rules. Oh, is this, is this my favorite scene with her? Probably. Okay, I'm gonna say, uh, hold, hold your load for a second while we just continue hold talking about uh, Kathy as Garcia, because uh, Kathy is incredible. I, I genuinely think, outside of the obvious years have gone by since recording the first season and Roberta's Blood Trail, Kathy plays Garcia as an older and wiser character compared to when she plays him at the beginning where he's he's a naive headstrong little kid where now it's like garcia is somebody forced to grow up sooner Well, well not only that though you have to add along the context is that his dad gets killed so he suddenly becomes the head of the Lovelace he, family. He becomes the patriarch of the Lovelace fa- family which, very which suddenly. kind of also accelerates him needing to grow up a bit quicker. And there's that idea that he is naive, but he is not stupid. And the uh, clash at the end of Roberta's blood trail is they are effectively using, treating him like he is an idiot and that he is a prop. His motivations are have basically been unchanged. From season to OVA, where season, he, he's just been kidnapped, but he has total faith in Roberta that she'll come save him. Yeah. OVA, he has total faith in Roberta that, that he can bring her back. I think that there's that realization that he goes from basically being a passive protagonist, where he's like, my maid will come home from the war. Please come home to me, sweetie. I left, I left cookies out for you. Come here, girl. To basically being like, I'm getting her back. I don't care what hell or high water has happened. I don't care what this prick says. I'm not going to let him win. I'm getting her back. And he's seen the evils that the city is capable of, and that does not dissuade him in the least. No. Yeah. I also think I love his arc about revenge. Because it's very clear the story's take on like what revenge is, is by the end, Roberta's quest for revenge is effectively a bloody psychotic massacre with by the end she doesn't remember why she's here or what she's fighting for anymore despite the amount of men she has sent to hell it is essentially the family motto of the uh, lovelace family of you fuck with us we'll fuck you up but he also is like once he is confronted with effectively one of the ringleaders of the fact that his father is dead and the the great conflict of you want your revenge on me, kid? You have every right to. If you're gonna take it, do it now. That struggle of, like, this is the man who ruined your life, but Garcia growing up and realizing it's not about avenging the life I lost, it's about moving forward with the life I can have. 
and that in itself is kind of beautiful, and genuinely the most optimistic thing in a show about people who consider themselves the walking dead. He is alive. Fabiola is alive. And even through everything, Roberta is alive. And that is kind of the most optimistic thing about Black Lagoon, is that whole arc, despite how violent and upsetting it is. And I really adore Kathy's uh, work on it in particular. Alright, who's got any final thoughts before we go into Roberta and before we say, Oh fucking boy, Roberta. Honestly, if anything, personally, I think Roberta over overshadows Garcia, so... I think Garcia... I don't have much to say with Garcia. Garcia's a great character, I adore his development, and I really think Kathy's an incredible performance for this character. Holy shit, Roberta, and holy shit, Tabitha St. Germain. Yeah, 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 Garcia. We're here for the maid Terminator. <laughs> is, is, is We're this, here for Psycho Maid. Is Let's this go. is this just the Simpsons thing where they're watching the? When the are we baby going to get to the fireworks factory? It, I, I was going for the baby <laughs> sheep, where it's like, oh, the baby sheep. The other one walks in front of it. Homer shoves it out of the way, and that's just everybody trying to talk about Roberta. How do you solve a problem like Roberta? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I appreciate that one. Well, that's, e well, that's easy. You don't arbitrarily change your dosage. Oh, God! Oh, God. So many problems. Oh, boy. Fucking Roberta. Yeah, uh, she is tripping balls by the end of that, and you can see how, like, absolutely mind-fucked that She's is. She's just overdosing uh. a little bit on pain meds. Just, just, just a little. She can quit anytime she wants. Oh, God. The voices in her head tell her not to stop. <laughs> like the, the, the family of a innocent, like, police guard that she killed. It wasn't a police guard. It was a Japanese technician at a, um, at like a computer company or something like that. It was just something, some yeah. guy it, and he it was, was just... The, it was the last straw in her revolutionary days that said she needed to get out uh, and turn over a new leaf. She was no longer killing righteous people. She was now killing actual innocent civilians, and that, like, haunted her. And then she was able to keep up that front for a number of years, find new happiness, and then the world said no. The world said, fuck you, Roberta. So, yeah, the Terminator maid is what they call her. And, oh, by the way, I love how the script uses a lot of, like, Western, like, pop culture stuff to great effect. Most of that is in the original script from Japan, because uh, uh, Rei Hiroe loves that shit. I believe mm. that Rei Hiroe is a Westaboo, as much as he is a West Gun Otaku. I bet you his favorite movie is Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> because of all of the Hawaiian shirts and Revy's sword cutlasses, <laughs> I feel very confident in this. <laughs> You, and, know? Uh, you know, you know, no, I, I, I thought you were being funny, but now that you've, no, 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 you might be onto something there. Oh shit! Is he, is he cooking? Is he fucking cooking right now? Let me tell you this, Andrew. In the manga, the tape that Revy listens to while she's blowing up the ships—that's canonically Electric Head by White Zombie. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, okay. Everybody always talks about, like, how great, like, anime otaku stuff is, but people kind of forget that what evolved a lot of the anime otaku scene is all these dorks who watch stuff from the United States and outward, and we're like, okay, that shit's pretty slick. I want to put that in my Japanese yeah. cartoons. Who else is going to slip in a reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, at least not for a while until Tasuke Fujimoto, but I digress. Um, okay, so, like, holy shit. Like, Tabitha is relatively, like, cool-headed and restrained for the majority of her arc in the show. Yes. Because she is literally the Terminator maid. She is cool, collective, and she will not stop until you are dead and she has gotten her master back. She starts off a fair bit, like, cold and monotone and robotic to emphasize, like, yeah. the Terminator angle. And she has this semblance of control. She's very polite. Yes. Like, the best, happiest outcome of that arc was the Russians aren't gonna fight her anymore. The people that fucked with you are dead now. I guess you could go home. And Revy's like, fuck you! I gotta sock her out! And then they're like, okay, okay. You two punch it out until you're satisfied. Yeah, punch it out. No guns. That's all you get. No guns. No items. Final destination. (laughs) Fox only. For glory. Your shoelace is untied. <laughs> Bops her in the head. The fact that worked. Bless she, she wasn't going to fall for it, but she couldn't help looking. But yeah, so you got that violent rock'em sock'em robots. And then her master, Diego Garcia, is killed. Diego Lovelace is killed. Um, She go cray. She go she cray. Go, she loses all all semblance of control mostly because like her reason for living at that point is gone and she's like i need to do this to make my remaining master happy they killed john wick's dog yeah that's it that's that is it that is it that's exactly that is the entirety of roberta's blood trail they killed John Wick's dog, and they're going, What the fuck do you mean you killed John Wick's dog? Which and then here comes Roberta! Which the entirety of Roberta's blood trail is everybody behind the scenes being like, Okay, whatever we do, if we go to war with the US of A, we are all fucked. And do Roberta- whatever you can to make sure blood of the Americans does not fall on our soil. And here comes Roberta starting shit with the United States. And then they have the Colombians who are like, yeah, we can fucking take her. And it's like, okay, these are the jobbers that we can kill. Roberta's like, fuck all y'all. Oh I'm my god, she want. is so scary. That is so yeah. scary, feral animal shit. And then, of course, your favorite scene, Ahmad, where, um... <laughs> uh, this this is the one where her uh, her buddy from Revolutionary Days has her cornered, so she, like, uh, seduces him. Mind you, unbeknownst to her, Garcia's in the other room watching all this. He's not having a good time about it. So, for those of you who are unaware, that, to me, is, like... That is NTR energy right there. It's It's probably the darkest thing that happens on screen. For sure. Which you were you were wondering why this is NTR to you. Yes. Because I didn't tell you about the fact that, like, Garcia had romantic feelings towards Roberta. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So now sense. that makes more sense that, that he was watching sense. this girl he loved and idolized and was trying to big home tonsil hockeying with this other guy in front of him as she's saying, like, I don't care about him anymore. I want to be with you guys now. Before she shoots him in the dick and is like, fuck you, you stupid pig. No, no, not, she doesn't just shoot him in the dick. She shoots him in the dick with a derringer she had hidden in her belt buckle. With a belt buckle. And the only reason she was doing this is so she could get to the belt buckle. Yep. From crotch to crotch. And, uh, and then she roughs him up and then beats him up so badly that the entire top half half of his head is missing. The lower jaw is there and down and that's it. You know what? The rest of him is gone. Look, we're not gonna pretend that violence is always glamorous and fun. 
But sometimes the violence in this show is it's fucking fun. fun. Look, I just, I've never been into the maid thing. Uh, like, Roberta is never hotter than in this bit where she's just soaked in blood and murdering people, hitting them so hard they burst against walls. It's like, this is amazing. Can this, can this be the rest of the OVA? <laughs> I can watch this all damn day. <laughs> Tabitha's a fucking delight. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Like, she was always really good, but this is like genuinely career highlight for a woman with an illustrious career as I have highlighted. Just like, alright, your character is in the midst of a breakdown, on drugs so bad they're making her like do that thing that, you know, when your baby's stuck under a car, you can like be so strong you hurt yourself. She's like that all the time. And actively delusional. Go. Yeah. There there is no there's no ceiling here. Just keep going. Yeah, uh she's hot, she's scary, she is absolutely wild, and like, my god, is Roberta's blood trail a tour de force and absolutely like some of, like, the best stuff I've ever heard out of Tabitha, but my god, there's so much out of Tabitha's career. That's definitely the scariest, probably most hyper-violent, hypersexual thing she has probably ever done! I was- I was scrolling through her, uh, behind the voice actors page because I'm just old enough that I've had actually seen a lot of things that Andrew read off earlier. Um, and like, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> a lot of kids' shows. Not a lot of things that, uh, have, uh, any of this. Rarity, that performance was fab! Oh, lordy. Roberta was... Okay. Tabitha's performance of Roberta in the show was a hell of a lot of fun. Like this, like y'all were saying, this calm, controlled, monotone, almost robotic. And then you go into Roberta's blood trail where, like, Tabitha gets to be just completely unhinged. And it is... It gives me life. It lives in my head rent-free, her just being completely unhinged. And just Tabitha just fucking sells it like holy mother of god as a woman who is both desperate and also just slowly losing herself in the process again because diego lovelace was the reason why she got pulled out of that the darkness in her past but now that her light effectively is gone like what is left for her so she she throws herself back into it these fuckers killed the light light that was in my life, now these fuckers gonna die. So, just to see that arc and that progression for Tabitha is just a tour de force, that's for sure. I'm now thinking about these sound effects that they added to Roberta. Like, she bites into a knife and breaks it, and they play a dog howl sound. Or when she's in full Terminator mode, and they're adding robot sound effects as she's running. <laughs> She's that much of a like unstoppable force of nature. They know what they're about. I love this show. You know what else I also love? That CIA agent who's rocking their crop top. Ada's a very fun character in and of itself too. My goodness, she has the mouth on that nun. When I, when I first saw Ada, I was like, oh, is this just a one-off character? And then you have the shit with the twins. No, not the shit with the twins, with Janet, right? It's both- it actually does start out with the twins, because Revy's like, Yo, I got a tip on this sick bounty, you wanna help me out with that? Oh yeah, that's right. But you, then it becomes more so with Janet, the whole thing with Janet. And you get to see, like- The bromance develop. That, and Ada takes the lead on, like, the whole plan. Like, the whole thing with Ada, Revy, and Rock sitting in the car, as Ada talks about this theoretical- situation that that might happen to janet you know mapping out this whole thing's like 
she's staying in that hotel because I, I got a room for her there. But what if those guys show up to come after her? You know, what if she goes out into this room because they raiding the wrong room and she just goes through this whole scenario that she basically concocted and it works like a charm because like here comes Janet running away from all those guys after her ass. Why are you so confident that this plan will work? One, because I've used it multiple times, and two, because I left helpful labeled arrows for her to follow. <laughs> and then a million bucks falls out of the sky in the form of uh, yeah. Greenback Jane. Yeah. It was great. I appreciate how, while most of the characters on this show have like their usual outfit, sort of like your typical cartoon character always wears the same thing. Ada has the more costumes than anyone else on the show. Yeah, she does. She can go, like, straight-up CIA operative, nice and classy. And also, she could go full-on skank, like she when she goes out with Revy. Uh, she's got her nun habit. She's got the dress she wore in the... When, when she's doing diplomat. Oh, yeah, that flashback, right? Flashback, yes. She's sort of like the Black Lagoon's Barbie doll. You know what? Kind of! <laughs> kind of, and it, it works. <laughs> she, she can be a bimbo, she can be a nun, she can be a, a menacing CIA agent who is secretly controlling things from behind the scenes, but also she's the girl boss. No, it, it does make sense that the undercover CIA agent wears many hats. So how many confessionals do you think she's gotten out of people just using her, uh, her lower confessional? Andrew. I'll stop. Sorry about that. No, you're not. I'm not going to comment on that. Neither should you. It is great that she can. she's one of the characters that can push Revy's buttons. Yes. It's good that they have a character like that in the show. I think in, in Lisa's performance, how she's able to go from street rat to professional CIA agent by removing her habit, and also how she's able to go from one personality to the next is really impressive. And you can tell when that shift happens in the performance. Yeah, especially that moment where she decides, like, oh, I'm I'm ready to tell you everything, but I'm going to kill you afterwards, so. Uh, also, can I just say, I love I love how Ada likes to give Revy shit about her relationship with Rock. Yeah, so when are you gonna jump his bones? Girl, I can read that tension. You can cut it with a knife. You borrowed his cigarette the other day, girl, and, like, I almost wet myself there. What the fuck's going on between you two? If, 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 the the if, fact if, Revy doesn't give a straight answer... Yeah, if you don't do it, I'll go after him. And Revy's just like, fuck, like, fuck like you, she's bitch. not even denying it. Like it's not like I like him or anything, Baka. She's like, ah, oh, shut the fuck up, which almost is more damning. It brings the energy up to have a like boisterous meddler like that in the cast. So, any thoughts on Miss US of A, uh, Amon? What a delight! Like this is just a lot of fun. It is so like, I mean, a lot of the women in the show are brassy and foul mouthed. That's not specific to her, but just she's. She's fun. Ada's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I do like that the show takes its time, like, getting to what Ada's deal is. Yeah. I feel like for some of these characters, you can kind of figure out what their shtick is pretty early on. It's not trying to keep it a secret. I do like that it kind of takes a while that you learn, like, what's her backstory? And is she still working for people now, even though she's in this church? Her one, her one irredeemable quality. She's a fucking spook. Shame on you. Tisk tisk. <laughs> Like I'll like I'll be very real with you. I was very disappointed that all those CIA guys did not bite at the end of the OVA. I was really looking forward to all of them dying horribly. Just gonna say, 
But enough about that. Lisa's delightful. She's just a lot of fun, and especially in her interactions with Revy, like, you get so much of what those characters' history is just from their performance together. Like, it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's really well done. Yeah. You know what, Abon, that's fair. I appreciate you sharing. But I get the feeling you're maybe a little... You're a little less about USA and a little more USSR, if I understanding that correctly. Absolutely not. They are both terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot them both in the sun. Solve all our problems. Alright, thank you for uh, just deflecting that anyways. Please tell me about Palalaika and your thoughts. What a fucking psycho. I love this woman. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't... Due to just um, what I've seen in the past, and uh, the fact that, you know, in a lot of anime dubs are dubbed in Canada, I don't watch a lot of kids' cartoons these days, what with being in my mid-30s and all. Um, a lot of these are actors who I'm either not very familiar with, or if I'm familiar with them, it's for stuff I've not seen in, like, 10, 15, 20 years. So I'm not off the top of my head that familiar with Patricia Drake, but Jesus Christ, what a performance. Goddamn. <laughs> can, can we get more things dubbed in Canada again so she can be in more stuff? She's great. Oh, oh, Patricia Drake is my favorite performance, I think. If not... Of the secondary characters of the whole show. I'll back you up on that. 100%. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like, I remembered a lot about this dub. I remembered how much I loved uh, the VAs of, like, Rock and Revy in particular. And I did not remember how good Balalaika's performance in this was. And oh my god, Patricia Drake is incredible. Oh my god, she is scary. She is intimidating. Like, there's so many choice scenes you can pick from her, but I think there are, like, two in particular that really stand out for me. Oh, I was about to bring one of them up, probably. The first time you really kind of see her as this scary, menacing person. Hansel and Gretel. Okay. The scene at the water fountain. The scene at the fountain is, like, the first real, oh yeah. my god. That made me go, holy fucking shit. This is why I love the character writing in this, because it could be so easy to be like Balalaika is a war-domineering person who doesn't give a fuck about anybody and everything, and only wants to stroke her war boner. She is, in fact, very dedicated, and her men are loyal to her, and she is loyal to her men. That's what makes her an interesting foil in the Yakuza arc, because the entirety of the Yakuza is built on the loyalty and trust, and it's like, the reason you lost is because the loyalty and trust Balalaika's men have for her is so much stronger than the Yakuza blood ties. That kid definitely fucked up by trying to taunt Balalaika with the words of her dying soldier. Oh, you're not gonna see the sun again, kid them just straight up like bleeding out in pain and agony and she's just like in honor of my comrades you slain i'm gonna watch you bleed out you fucking pathetic piece yeah, of shit yeah like oh my and God. at the end of that i think the thing that struck me is she's apologizing to her her sergeant and she's like thank you for indulging me i know that was hard to watch God damn it, I'm getting too old for this. There is still a part of her that's not okay with killing kids, but this is obligation. She has an obligation to her men to get revenge. And, like, you hear that anger and ferocity, but also that frustration. Yeah, just a, that whole scene. The I said kneel. Oh! Yep. Nothing is cooler yep. than the off-screen sniper that, on the word bang, just 
fires a shot and either mercs a guy or maims them in this case. Fucking, oh, that's, that is one of the coolest things that you can do. Shortly followed after that with telling the dying child, stop crying, you idiot. Fucking, oh, so, so cold. And, and very tired. And then there's, uh, okay, actually there's two other scenes, but I think the next one I was going to bring up is, uh, the one that actually traumatized Rock? The parking garage? The parking garage. The one that traumatized me. God! Because I remember this scene vividly. She's fucking terrifying during that. And, like, you could tell, like, Revy is panicked. She is panicked, not only for her life, but for Rock's. There, there was a line about, I could guide you through the goddamn Alamo, but I can't save you from her. Right. Just the way that she is delighting, where she's like, when you're dealing with somebody pointing a gun at you willing to take your life, you either give them something they want, or you try to amuse them. And you're doing a shit job at both right now. Until he says that this is his hobby, and then she's cackling like a maniac, like, oh, you're a fucking funny jester, aren't you? You, you managed to entertain me for a moment. You get to live another day. Justice. I can't think of a word more loved by the people. She's saying the word so sweetly and so evilly. Every time we talk about Balalaika and especially Patricia Drake's performance, we are talking about it with fear and arousal at the same time. I was thinking of another episode that most of this group has been on with I, the Somnium Files and Boss and, <laughs> and Scarroused. <laughs> That's a good example. This is the or. Oh, there's, this there's, is, a, there's, this there's, is the there's peak. two characters whose fan... The Venn diagram of those two characters' fan base is a circle. Th- this is the peak of the scare-roused mountain. I will say my opinion in one sentence. She make my pee-pee move. <laughs> my, my one oh, sentence boy. was going to be, Damn Bella-like-a, you scary. Damn Bella-like-a, you scary. Don't fuck with Bella Laika. Holy shit. Well, okay. So here's what, here's how it works. Bella- so it's either don't fuck with Bella Laika or Hardy wants to do things with Bella Laika. See, the name of the game is to fuck Bella Laika and live to tell the tale. Mm. That's the actual name of the game. That's true. Because, like, Ada, you could probably live. Revy, you might walk away limping, but you could probably live. Bella Laika... You like you look at her you. you look at her from top to bottom and you spend like 90 seconds doing advanced calculus risk assessment in your head and you're like I want to motorboat those french fried russian titties. <laughs> well, Andrew's dead. God damn. Andrew it. Andrew just got shot. Yeah, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm not going to survive. I got shot and then I got like a a fucking like high heel shoved right up my ass. It would be hard to impress Bella like it because she's so desensitized from editing porn for hours on end. <laughs> I was going to bring up uh, we, we were talking about how scary Patricia Drake is, which she is in this performance, but uh, she she is also at the center of one of easily the best comedy moments in this, where they're Rock and Revy are trying to have a serious conversation. She's sitting there having to edit porn because there aren't enough people. Like they don't have any interns. Everyone else is out doing stuff. She's, the only she's one like, so I'm it. I'm stuck editing all this. I've been at this for like twelve hours. Somebody shoot me! Damn, sis, has she taken up the ass? 
She sure is. <laughs> I, I, forgot, I forgot about that. She is not impressed by anything. How'd you forget the punchline of the scene? God. <sighs> Jesus Christ. But also, like, I kind of like the Yakuza arc is basically establishing her and Yukio are effectively girls taking up the legacies of their fathers to make them proud, whether they want it or not. Yeah, because this isn't the life Bellaka started wanting to live. She was going to be in the Olympics. And then their country was like, well, if you want to be in the Olympics, you're going to have to serve in the military, which means you're going to have to come back alive, which means you're going to have to get good at killing people. And then by the time she's back, her country doesn't exist anymore. And there's that level of frustration where it's like, she wants a war. She wants that war so bad. This is the training that she went through, and she needs closure. And there's so much contempt with her and the Americans. It's like, why do you get to do what you do and come home heroes? Why did I do the same thing? And why did I become a vagabond, a martyr with no country to call their own? Because if I would call correctly, the reason she was expelled was for actually saving a child. Yes, she was labeled as a deserter, yeah. She effectively did the morally right thing, and she was punished and left. No good deed. And she's not going to make that mistake again. No. I, I'm thinking of another funny... Like, that whole scene, as she's cleaning things up in Japan... Oh, this last mob boss. Uh, Rock, translate for me. How well defended are you guys? Give me your guns. Your personal guns that you have on your person. Yep. Oh, that's a good gun. What the fuck's this thing? What's what's this tiny-ass little pea shooter? This gun yep. is atrocious. What pussy would get killed by this gun? Shoes both of them with it? You know what? Maybe this is a good gun after all. Right after she had uh, hit on Rock a little bit. Where she's starting to get impressed by him. This gun is yours. You will remember this for the rest of your life. Here, Rock, this pussy gun is yours now. God, she's so good. Fucking Patricia's incredible. I could gush over her all day, but you know what? There's one I, I think we all want to gush about even more. So let's move on to our wonderful Lagoon Company. That's Benny, the disgraced Florida hacker man, Dutch, the captain of this crew, and a ex-Vietnam veteran, Revy, a Chinese-American girl who was tossed aside and this is the life that she's always known, and our boy Rokuro Okajima, a.k.a. Rock, a salary man who's business basically fucks him over he gets the short end of the stick and then he decides he likes Roanaper more than the salary life after all playing the role of Benny is one Brian Drummond who you'll know as Zex Merkees in Mobile Suit Gundam Wing Dr. Eggman in Sonic Prime as well as Knuckles the Echidna in Sonic Underground Carrot Cake and the famously named Dr. Hooves who is a My Little Pony Sona of Doctor Who. I'd forgotten about that. I'm really disappointed that I, I hadn't forgotten about it anymore. And he's also Spike the Dragon in Gen 3 My Little Pony. He is Vegeta in the Ocean dub of Dragon Ball Z. He is also Goopy Clone Vegeta, because there is like a Goopy slime alien that clones Vegeta in Dragon Ball Super, and they decided Let's get Brian Drummond to voice them in the dub, which was an incredible choice. And of course, our good old Apple-loving Ryuk in Death Note. 
Should I add that uh, Brian Drummond actually is really good friends with both Chris Sabat and Vegeta's voice actor? Uh, Japanese voice actor? Oh, Seiyu? Uh, yeah. I can believe They're, that. All three of them are bros. It's great. Uh, Dutch is played by one Dean Redman, who has played Nick Fury in Iron Man Armored Adventures, Caged Frostwolf in the Hollywood Warcraft movie, Banner Clay in Beyblade Burst Evolutions, Lucifex in Ninjago, and Baron in Dragon Quest The Adventures of Dai. If you want a relatively new ocean-based dub that I believe Amon, you actually reviewed for our show. Yes, we did. I believe he was, he was uh, I, I think we got to the part he's in. He was good. Mm-hmm. Revy. Two hands, Revy. Marika Hendricks, who has played characters like Aikitara and Ren Tsukimi in World Trigger, Muyo in Sword of the Stranger, she is Rappa Momochi in the Gintama Ocean dub. She is Miyako Gotokuji, aka Rolling Bubbles, oh. in Powerpuff Girls Z. Well, that's a bit of a contrast. She's Susan Test in Johnny Test. Mm-hmm. And because we're bringing this back to My Little Pony, she is both Sonata Dusk in the My Little Pony Equestria Girls spinoff and Gilda the Griffin in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. And finally, Rock is the ever-iconic Brad Swaley, who has played Jun Arashiyama and Ko Murakami in World Trigger, Amuro Ray in Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack, Setsuda F. Sei in Mobile Suit Gundam Double O, Lon Hikari in Mega Man Anti-Warrior, Nightcrawler in X-Men Evolutions. And give us the big one. <laughs> Andrew, it is 9.30 at night. Please don't don't make loud noises. That's right. He's Kira. Light Yagami. He takes the potato chip and he eats he it. He takes the potato chip and he eats it. Worst character of all time. Yeah, I said it. I'm not gonna fight you on yeah. the hill of Light Yagami, but I think we should start with Dutch and Benny first. Who wants to start this one off? I think you should talk about Benny, Andrew. What's your opinion as a white man, Benny boy? Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck the Nazis as a family creed, and it's a very good creed to have, too. I think Brian Drummond's kind of an iconic VA, but he plays Benny with this right level of, like, charm... He's basically sort of like a weirdo hacker otaku guy, but he's kind of got enough, like, charm and, like, ah, I'm just a guy, I just work here, whatever. Like, he seems kind of emotionally removed, but he's definitely like, yeah, no, that's kind of uh, the name of the game, whatever. But also, it's very clear that, like, Revy had to warm up to him, too, the same way she had to warm up with Rock as well. But... I think Brian's got, like, a, a very naturally charming, like, tone of voice when it comes to playing Benny. And he's kind of charming, but also kind of distant. Which makes it interesting in Roberta's Blood Trail, where he's actually, like, giving advice to the kids about how they can walk out of this, like, relatively unscathed. Brock's like, that's pretty unlike you. He's like, look, I may be in, like, the shittiest city in the world, but... It'd be a goddamn shame to see those kids get swallowed up in the world we live in. I think it's nice for Brian to finally just get a normal speaking role, because most of the time when he's doing like these raspily voiced characters like Vegeta and Ryuk, it's sort of 
refreshing getting to hear him in his normal speaking voice. It's very nice, and it brings a, a dynamic to the Lagoon Company as Benny's just like this guy. Like, he's not an idiot, and he knows when shit will hit the fan, and he doesn't want any part of it. But he also not only pulls his own weight, but he's just a guy. He's just a normal guy. He's kind of just here. I'm trying to think of the archetype he reminds me of. Like, very obviously, like, 90s Hacker Man type. For some reason, I've written down Jurassic Park. I don't remember making this note, but I think it's because of the Hawaiian shirts. (laughs) He he, he does have a vibe of... He's got the dress code of um, Newman's actor and the personality of Samuel Jackson's character. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the connection I'm making. Just like, I'm here, I do weird shit, and that's what I do. Here's a fun question. So you know the fact that Revy tried to get Rock to wear this shitty-ass Hawaiian shirt, right? Did she try and pull that with Benny, too, you think? Ben- Benny's a Florida man. He's he's already Benny, in. Benny, Here's what it is. Best- I think he kind of naturally was drawn to the Hawaiian shirts himself, and I think what's very clear is that, like, Benny's already rocking it, and I get the impression she likes Refi, but she's not really into or about Benny. The reason she's so pushy about Rock wearing it is because she would fucking jump him if he was wearing the Hawaiian shirt. I think it's less about the shirt and more about getting him out of that stupid tie. She, she can see the relationship they could have if he would just lighten the fuck up a little and stop dressing like he's going to go work at his stupid office job that he doesn't have anymore. The man looks like he's going to talk to you about the... Like, he looks like a... Looks like, um, he looks like a Japanese salary man. He looks like a salary man. It's just like, who's Squaresville over here? He he has not changed his, uh, his daily outfit. Like, you could tell... Um, you could tell she's trying to at least initiate a physical relationship, but she's so off-put by, like, the dress shirt and tie. I really only had one more thing about Benny. I think at one point, uh, Rock asked, like, what do we do in situations like this where Benny and him are on the boat being left behind while the other two are actually the gun wielders and going into action? And he's, Benny coldly tells Rock to just look the other way to all the evils that are happening in times like these mm-hmm. that that's interesting like benny thinks of himself as like separate from all this and like above it all but he's really not he's just closed his eyes to what's going on around him it's you can tell it's his demeanor yeah, he kind of just looks the other way when when revy th- says you want to die he's he just nonchalantly says not really yeah yeah there, there's a compartmentalization about him like he knows he is assisting in something ugly and it's just easier for him to not think about it if he doesn't have to he pays the bills, he has a place to live, and uh, everything's okay otherwise. Yeah. Cold beer in the fridge. Benny's philosophy is effectively that one scene from Yu Yu Hakusho, where he's like, hey, that guy's got horns. That's not normal. Oh well, not gonna let it ruin my day. <laughs> <laughs> he's also probably, like, one of the only characters that I'm pretty sure were like, oh, you have actually been laid before, haven't you? <laughs> yep. Of the four leads, he comes across as the most relatively well-adjusted. He hides it well. <laughs> if, if they all had to go get normal jobs tomorrow, he would probably get one the fastest. Oh, absolutely. With his with his skills? Oh, yeah, he would. I also just meant that he doesn't seem to be, uh, like, he doesn't seem to be a crank in some capacity. Yeah, true. So Greenback Jane got it all over her back, am I right? So Dutch. Andrew! <laughs> <laughs> 
I liked how that's the transition. Thank you for that, Jackson. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not enjoying Andrew choosing violence today at every opportunity, but... Let's keep it moving. I didn't even make a comment about that circumcised peen. Like, we, we're, you know what we're about here tonight. Earning that R Anyways. <laughs> so Dutch. So Dutch. Dutch, or uh, the too bad he's black. Okay. Thank you, uh, Mr. Okay. 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 Listen. Long character okay. to be quoting here. Steph? Why was that the first? I don't know. Stephanie. Because the Nazis are bitches. I know, but like you could have said so many other things <laughs> about him first, and you went with the fucking line. Why would you? Why would you I, As I, an I, employer, I, it's my I, job to make sure that my crew is well cared I put, for. I put foot in mouth. Okay. As as your as what is effectively the dub talk secretary and your loving boyfriend. No. As stop our it. employer. As <laughs> yes. Um. I put foot in my mouth. I sorry. No. Dutch. You you also don't cross Dutch. He's dad. Dutch is one of those characters where it's like, if you cross him, he doesn't get, like, vehemently angry, but you can tell when he's upset. With with the rest of Lagoon Company, it, it is a dad thing where he's not mad, he's just disappointed. But, he but is with everybody else, he just gets this anger, like, it's just... Stonewall indifference. Mm -hmm. he, he also is like a, I will care for my people, but also don't cross me. Don't betray me. Don't fuck with me. Yep. But he's also, like, not afraid to, like, when he sees his crew giving him shit. Like, he can tell Revy is being aggressively fucking weird and hostile. And you can tell he's literally mad because she almost caps civilians that were uninvolved. And he's like, Revy, what the fuck are you doing? How dare you fucking bring this into our work and shit? You, I don't care about what fucking issues you got with Rock. I pay your paychecks. Don't you fuck with me. He's trying to run a business here, and you're fucking shit up. He's a consummate professional, and you will respect that, goddammit. I think at this point he's comparing Revy to, who did I hire, a mercenary or a fucking mass shooter? Because there's a thin line yeah. between those two things. I think he was like, that's, look, that's, that's if, if the, you're uh, gonna be like that, you could go, you could find some clock tower in college or whatever for all I care. <laughs> I think, I think in the dub he actually mentioned one of the mass shooters by name. I it I was specifically so, yeah. the one with the clock tower, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he a choice, but a, a, not a bad one, I think. Topical references. So, Patricia is definitely of a VA. I was like, I forgot about how good they were. I feel like if there is any actor in this I feel is criminally underplayed in the voice acting sphere, it is Dean Redman. He is absolutely phenomenal. I know I know some people throw this phrase around a lot, but I think it refers to Dean Redman for me. I could listen to him read a phone book. Mm -hmm. Everything about his voice exhibits cool. Like you need some... Like, you need some soft jazz playing in the background while he does it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. God, Dean's really cool, and I love, like, his chemistry with his team and the frustration. He's very much a no-bullshit kind of character. I would like to mention, and I'm really glad for the casting choices, 
Ocean in their past has had some bad choices, even in this own dub, of not casting specific actors who play specific races. They've even had Scott McNeil play some Hawaiian actor in Ranma One Half sometime. I'm glad that they actually got a black actor to play Dutch. 100%. 100%. And from what I was seeing, right? It's one of his early roles for Dean Redman. Like, he, if I was seeing correctly, he quit being a pilot to pursue uh, acting. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. He's a cool dude. He, uh, he, he did mainly, like, live action stuff, right? Yeah, that uh, adds up. He's, he's really good. He's really cool. He's got the right level of indifferent energy, but also like, God, I don't want to deal with this shit. It's hard to persuade him to move. He's very... He doesn't want shit from anyone. He's just trying to run a business. If you want to motivate him, you have to pay him. I actually think one of the things I was genuinely surprised about at the end was Roberta's blood trail when they're doing, like, the cross of, like, the golden triangle. And he's like... Don't don't thank me. Get the fuck off my boat. Yeah. I'm sorry I said that. This area just uh just brings back a lot of memories. Cause like he was a uh he was a Vietnam uh fighter and I think that brought back a lot of memories for him that they haven't even tapped into yet. Which I thought that was particularly interesting. I caught one random comment that like in the manga they start implying that maybe he was never a military man. Maybe he's been lying about that the whole time. God, now that I have, like, a, a Viz manga app, I'm going to find out where the end of Roberta's Blood Trail and the stuff that is new I haven't read yet. There is essentially one unadapted arc that's complete. Okay. I do know that in the manga, uh, Roberta does not give get all those injuries like, they do, like she does in the OVA. I almost find that more compelling, in a sense. I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if they made Roberta's Blood Trail in part knowing that they're probably not going to be making any more of these, and that they can give it a little more finality than the manga, which is still ongoing. Speaking of which, if case you didn't know those figures that she was she met, those people that she met at the end, one was actually Caxton, and the two were the family of the technician she killed. Hmm. That's what yeah. I thought that was. Yeah, that, that, I think that. Steph. I think Steph thought that was her family. It's like, no, I think that is the family of the man that haunted her. Yeah, yeah. It took me a second, and I realized it. I'm like, yeah. If you're gonna end this cycle of revenge, you you go that route. I think that was a very strong end to that too. But okay. Anyways, Dean Redman, delightful, absolutely criminal. I have not heard him in more things. Sounds. Shit. Both of them end up kind of underrated just because they're missing from a large chunk of the show. Because mm-hmm. the heart of Black Lagoon is Rock and Revy. And I have made no illusions here tonight, friends. I ship it. I ship it. You I ship fucking it, you ship it, shit, FedEx? I, I ship it like FedEx. I express ship it like FedEx. And I'm going to say... You priority overnight sh- FedEx? Priority overnight, (laughs) extra fees included, (laughs) with international shipping. That's how fucking hard I ship it. Lagoon Company is a delivery company. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're right. Straight to your door in 30 bullets or less. So fast, (laughs) it's practically illegal. (laughs) 
straight to my door. They'll knock my door down, throw it in my face, and say, here you go, you fucking asshole. Enjoy your fucking dorky comics later, loser. And, and I'll say, leave. thank you, ma'am. May I have some more? <laughs> We need to do a classics highlight reel, and this is the highlight for my food. I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time tonight. <laughs> yeah, you get to gush about Revy and Rock. Okay, so here's the thing. I joke about this casually. This is a show I feel like people would very casually fuck each other. Not just like a big deal. It's like I took a look at you, liked what I saw, in and out, 20, 30 minutes, go on with our day. I like you. And I want you. Now we could do this the easy way, or we could do it the hard way. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Hardy. I hate how I recognize what you're going for. That is correct, but also wrong in a lot of ways. Anyways. Hard way it is. So Rock and Revy is fascinating in that their chemistry and the realizing they are so very different, but so very similar of it is so compelling. And it's the idea of, like, you don't know my life, but it's like, you also don't know mine. Who are you to claim my life was as easy and safe, and I should go back to it? Who are you to tell me I don't belong? Oh, yeah, that, um, the sunken submarine, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, my God, Marika. That is one of, like, the big moments for Marika is the speech about assigning meaning to things. Yep. Because at the end of the day, you are assuming these are the medals of... of of, like, soldiers who fought and died to the very end and thought about their families and loved ones. No. This these is are... a skull. This is a piece of metal. All of these are things. Once you strip mm -hmm. away the meaning, we'll take the sentimentality out and decide what they're worth. Yeah. And if you bring your morality and you tell me what's right and what's wrong again, you will no longer be one of us. And when you do that, I'm gonna kill you. Yep. And that's just like the first couple of episodes, man. Yeah, that's after Rock joins, so that's the mission with the um, the, the Nazis, the Nazi painting, right? Yep. This is all the World War II U-boat. Yeah. It's such a standout moment, and like it looks different from anything else in the show because they've dropped all the light. Revy's given him the dirtiest death glare. There's so much to dig into that speech for her entire worldview summed up right there yeah and i think the entirety of their relationship so much of the yakuza arc is effectively like revy seeing why would you want to leave this life behind why would you want to give this up and then rock does not feel like he wants to belong anymore he feels normal but you yourself are also projecting how innocent and normal you think he is because you want to believe somebody that you feel is truly good can be the one you find salvation in. Also, as a fun little thing, going into Roberta's blood trail, her worldview gets challenged by Fabiola. Oh, I love that so much! And that, that scene between both Marika and Shannon is so strong, and they're just, like, combating each other because you have Fabiola who has this sweet who had this innocent life and who's just like I bet you had this and this and and Revy's just like you don't fucking know who I am 
And then you get flashbacks to Revy's life too, which is the first time you really get that as well. The feathery imagery is the revelation that is her remembering the time she drew first blood mm -hmm. because she used the pillow as a silencer to kill her dad. The bullet casing and the feather imagery from Red Faction, the opening. Yes. Which, oh my god, Red Faction's a fucking all-time banger, holy shit. But no, like, seeing her worldview being challenged again in Roberta's blood trail, and just seeing Marike, like, internally to herself, like, you don't fucking know anything about me, fuck you, and she's just, like, going through this whole monologue to herself, and it's just a strong moment for her. That flashback is mostly silent, just punctuated by Marike going, fuck, 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 over and over again as she's- Yeah! She, she buried those memories, and mm -hmm. they're coming back up because of Fabiola. I have a question for you, Jackson, because I feel like of everybody here, you would be the most familiar with what this show sounds like in Japanese. I checked out a little bit of the sub uh, to get a taste. Did Revy in Japanese sound way more anime to you in that? I, I, I'm going to say yes. I think she sounded a lot younger, but like a older teenager kind of young, like that range. From the perspective of the average anime high school MC boy, she's the cool student council president type of voice. So, like, high school senior to, like, college uh, who, co-ed, kind of. Who's the voice of Selty from Durarara? Because I think that's that Sayu. Oh, Miyuki Sawashiro? Yeah, Miyuki Sawashiro. I think it's that same voice actor, and if not, it's that same tone of voice. I've heard a little bit of that, but I feel like it sounded... Like too. I, th I think you're. I think I know where you're going with it. Unbroken. Yeah, it sounds too clean for what. It sounds too clean. Is exactly what I'm going for. And everything about the way Marike plays Revy is perfection. This is the perfect choice. It carries a lot of that darkness. It carries a lot of that darkness. It carries a lot of the casual violence, but also a lot of the carefree gunslinger but also somebody who is kind of teetering with those emotions that she has never dealt with. Revy has seen and gone through some shit, and you can you can tell in the performance. And to me, Marike as Revy is an all-timer and the best performance in the dub. It's a nasty voice. Like, I can hear the nastiness in it, like the fangs. You could hear years of cigarettes and cheap beer taking its toll. You hear the blood and the grit. I, I think I, I think I want to highlight is a, a thing I will I will see online periodically when people are talking about sometimes anime just fiction in general is how rarely uh, female characters are allowed to just kind of be like crappy people, just like you know they're flawed and they yes. fuck up and they make bad decisions. You know, like that might have consequences, but they're not like punished by the story for doing that. Let women be problematic, damn it. Yeah, like, I really enjoy how much Revy is allowed to just kind of be a shitty person, and that's fine. Like, she's not judged for it, that's just who she is. And I, I agree with all this, like, Marika is really good at this. Like, there are there are so many times you can just, like, Revy likes to present herself as cool, but there are so many times you can just see, like, the raw nerve that's just not even really being hidden that well, and Marika brings that out so beautifully. Like, there's trauma and anger in there under yeah. the cool guy facade. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if you don't know the details, it's just like, yeah, you've clearly seen some shit, and you... I mean, you're a pirate in fucking South Asia. Of course you haven't processed it. You probably wouldn't be here if you processed it. You'd be doing something else with your life. She is a flawed femme fatale, but by God, 
that is what makes Revy. She is compelling, she is striking, and Marika is the perfect voice for Two Hands Revy. Again, I'm not sure we're ever going to get more Black Lagoon, if only because it's so old and um, it's been coming out so slowly the last... There's not enough material for another season. Yeah. Would you believe me if I was so bold and provocative as to say, I don't want more Black Lagoon anime if we're not going to get more of Marika as Revy? Oh, 100%. A Black Lagoon anime that, like, if it gets dubbed and doesn't have this cast, I don't, I wouldn't want that. Too much of this is like, no, this is the correct voice for this character. I wouldn't want it to be recast by anybody, regardless of who it is. And I don't even think it's a matter of wanting or needing a younger-sounding cast. If anything, this is a group of people who sound and should sound like they're 20 years older than they actually are because of the stress and violence of their lifestyle. War makes you old. And they're not even in technically war, but, like, may as well be. Alon, did you want to start off and talk about... Our friendly, quote-unquote, neighborhood salaryman. It is so weird hearing Light Yagami's voice coming out of a character I like. <laughs> like, Brad, Brad, Brad's great, but I know, I know him for this, and I know him for Death Note, and, like, I don't want to say that he doesn't have a lot of range. I, I don't think I've seen enough things he's been in to say so, but it's very much... Oh, he's got a lot of range. It is what I'm assuming is more or less his natural speaking voice, and it's like, I like Rock, I empathize with Rock. I think the show actually does a really good way of making you line up behind Rock's point of view and then explaining why that is not very useful right now, and you need to stop doing that. It even does a very natural progression at him, uh, effectively becoming Kira. <laughs> the Rock voice is the outward mask that mm -hmm. Kira wears through most of that show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, speaking of that, so, like, the thing I really enjoy about the arc of Rock's character is... I, I'm really happy we got Roberta's blood trail because I think the the way it ends in the the Yakuza arc at the end of the second season, they're having all the, you know, these discussions about, you know, he's standing in the twilight. He is, you know, he's he's in Romanipur, but he still kind of has this connection to the outside world at first. And they talk about him in that context. And the thing I like so much about Roberta's blood trail, and this is what I was talking about earlier with, um his some of his stuff with Shannon as Fabiola is even at the end of Roberta's Bloodshell, that is kind of true, but only if you live in Rabanaper. Only there in that context is he a guy who's still in the twilight. You talk to uh Fabiosa, who's outside of you it. You talk to like, normal people. Yeah, normal people, it's like, no, you're gone, man. You're one of them. Even just down to like, yeah, sure, maybe his plan was the good ending, but like, is it? Is it? <laughs> His plan was the good ending because he got what he wanted, people got to live, and he got to tell a guy to shove it in his face. But then he got decked by Fabiola, and it was like, if I ever see you again, I'm fucking airing you a new yeah, one. No, I just love the way they, they sketch out his character where, like, yeah, like, you're kind of on the outside, but only only in the context of this wretched, awful city. Like, to anyone else, you're, you're one of them. He starts getting really excited about the plan coming together. Yeah. More so than the people that he's saved. And he's thinking of them as chess pieces moving around. He's getting excited and animated and, like, fidgety about winning this gamble. Like, it's more of a... Garcia and Roberta and Fabiola get out of that situation alive in spite of Rock more than anything. I think. Mm -hmm. No, I think so. And I... I mean, as we... As we like, I watched Death Note 
Brad is good at playing characters who, you know, aren't necessarily... Are a little deranged. Exactly. But, like, he, he plays it so well because it still feels like rock. Like, something has changed, something's wrong... But it's still very clearly rock. But he's not a new character. This is the evolution of this person. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just, I want to, like, I, I've been curious about the manga, but now it's like, I want to read more just because this, I really appreciate that this is a, a series that clearly takes a lot of inspiration from really dumb action movies, and also takes a lot of inspiration from really smart action movies. And it doesn't feel a need to differentiate between those two that it's much. It's smart! This is, what makes Black Lagoon work is that it is so, it is genuinely incredibly well yeah. written. Ray Hiroe is an author I respect at the fact that, like, the stuff he has written is genuinely incredible. This is why I want you to watch Recreators, and that's why I hope his new manga eventually gets an he, anime. He, he feels like one of those dudes where, like, the only reason he doesn't get more credit is just because he's relatively done few things. Like, he feels like one of these dudes where if he just had more visible series under his belt, people would talk about him as one of the greats. Frankly, I think Black Lagoon itself is proof as is, but... Oh, I think, it, well, you know, they're like your newbie these days who doesn't know anything that was came out older than five years ago. Like, they need to be convinced, not us. I will shove this in the guise of all the people who really want the violent revenge stuff or think that what makes Berserk good is the violence in action and be like, think again, motherfucker. Break their little minds, Andrew. Anyways, uh, uh, Steph, Hardy? I'm with, uh, Amon. I... Brad has a voice kind of like Ashley Bell's to where it's hit or miss for me. Because, especially when he like, screams out really loud, he's, his voice has a tendency to crack and hit mess up my, uh, my misophonia. Here, he sounded good. If I had to point at one Brad Swale performance, I would give credit to Too Light. Because that was very well done, I just really can't stand the character. You just hate Light. I really hate him. But I like Rock. I want Rock to succeed. And um, if I had to choose gun to my head one Brad Swale performance, I'd give it to Rock. I think that's completely and super fair. Oh my god, Brad is just absolutely, like, incredible. He's a tour de force. He is as funny, but he is cold and broken and descending into the darkness throughout the entirety. And just, my god, it's... It's incredible, and the way Brad and Marika just bounce off of each other is just absolutely just so good. I think an uh, important step in this character, which comes after Revy chews him out, but before the cigarette kiss, is what leads up to, to that, which is Rock blows up back at Revy. Which he has never done till now. He was left for dead and was picked up by Revy, and now she's sick of him. Because she's starting to feel judged and like he's on the other side of the tracks. He's an outsider. And after having her big temper tantrum, she's cooled off a little bit. But Rock's walking on eggshells around her now and he's not happy about that. So he just blows up back at her. Instead of understanding other people and their pain that they also suffer, you play the victim. And that's one of the first things that really shakes Revy. Is the fact that you're playing the victim, yeah. You're, you're running in circles, there's no heroes, there's no Robin Hood. Why don't you be Robin Hood? Fucking... If you're not Robin Hood, why don't you become Robin Hood? What's stopping you? And the real key moment of his development is the Yakuza end of that moment, where... The fact that she is telling him... Don't look at... seed so much shit, don't you look. Don't look at that. Look at me. Eyes on me. Eyes on me... And what changes that character is the fact that he decides instead to keep on looking. 
He doesn't blink. Oh, man. So, obviously, I didn't know shit about Black Lagoon before coming into this, but Brad Swaley as Rock is one of the few things that I know about this show because I've seen Death Note! And, uh, where light can be very unhinged at times, Rock... <sighs> Rock is a very interesting character because the whole idea of his character being in the Twilight for so long is very prevalent here. And the way Brad walks that fine line throughout the course of at least the main series, is it's very interesting and very, very fun to watch. But once you get to the stuff with the Yakuza and then subsequently Roberta's blood trail where he just is like, okay, that's it. I'm just going to go full force now. And you start seeing him dive into that darkness voluntarily, like full force now. It's just so interesting. And that side of Rock is what reminds me of how Brad Swaley portrayed Light. Which makes sense! But I think that what's more fascinating is how Rock is portrayed throughout the course of the main series and and him being in that twilight where he, he is expanding his worldview, but he's also trying to keep his morals intact at the same time. He's also becomes a little more adamant about winning. Later on, yes. Mm -hmm. But um, at least for most of the main main show, um, he's trying to keep his morals in a world that has no morals. There's black and white, and Rock's trying to stay in the gray area as much as possible. I I think Brad does very very well with it. It's not my it's not my favorite performance. I mean, I do love Balalaika very much, and I also love Revy a lot, because goddamn, does Revy steal the fucking show. But I think the dynamic that Rock and subsequently Brad Swaley brings to the table gives a very interesting dynamic and just a new... It gives you that outsider's perspective looking in, and it's a very fun story to follow. So I think he... I think... Brad Swaley as Rock really just holds up today still, personally. Mm -hmm. Frankly, Brad and Marika are incredible. Genuinely, these two are one of like my favorite tag teams in anime. God, I want these two to fuck so fucking bad, though. And you know what else holds up really well? This dub. I was so afraid going into this with a much more critical eye and ear... I wasn't going to like this, or something was going to be slightly dated, or it wasn't going to quality-wise sound as good or on par as a lot of what I am used to listening to now. No, it's still good. It's still one of the greats for a goddamn reason. I'm so fucking happy. This show is darker and maybe a little more violent and maybe, uh nihilistic that I think I would prefer I probably would not be as into that element as I am now nowadays but my god it is incredibly written all these characters are dynamic and really compelling and I'm so happy I'm here right now there would have to be changes if it was made today I don't disagree oh, no, I don't 100%. disagree but I do think for a product of its time, it has aged very well. Like, you can point out to a few casting choices and a few lines and a few words used that you'd say, Hey, look, though it's not going to fly these days, 
I don't think you would have to change too too much. You you can that's, keep that's a thing. You can keep the core of this basically intact. It's just there are some qualms and uh, some lines that we don't cross anymore. This is not a ship of Theseus where you are effectively having to replace the entire ship to get a new ship. No, this is like maybe one or two parts you would have to just replace. But honestly, the entirety of the ship is still intact and ready to sail almost 15 years later. Yeah. And I did not plan for this to come out on the 15th anniversary of like the dub coming out. But you know what? That's credible timing. Now, I will say it's not for everyone. This show... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. that's fair. <laughs> yes. That, that is fair. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't open with that. But for the people that are into this, it's one of the top things. There's a rare show that is as dark and as colorful as Black Lagoon. Because for as uncomfortably dark and violent as it can be, it also has some of the most colorfully delightful swearing and silly moments that just absolutely sell it. Yeah, this is not for the faint of heart, but it is simultaneously incredibly well-written and great character stuff. Do you think a depressed man can write this? Yes! Bless your heart, Ray Heroway. Love your face. Uh, Amon, Steph, especially you two first-timers, I want your final thoughts. The shit rocks. Bro. It's a wild fucking ride. The show itself is a wild fucking ride, and it's very enjoyable. It's, again, it's not for everybody, and again, um, in terms of the dub itself, it's a solid dub and still holds up for the most part. There is language and there is direction of certain characters that would not fly in modern dubs. Not by a long shot. But, if you're in for a... Fuck yeah, motherfucker, good time. I'd say go ahead and watch Black Lagoon, bro. It's pretty fucking sweet. And where can we watch Black Lagoon? Ah, thank you for asking. On Blu-ray still, I believe you can still find copies of the Classics Edition still in print on uh, Right Stuff and available video retailers. And Funimation as a website still exists, and you can still watch it on Funimation right now, but in the future, when that eventually goes away, Black Lagoon and Black Lagoon Burr's Blood Trail have transferred over to Crunchyroll so you can stream it and also find copies of the Blu-ray if you like your physical media in case it goes away. If you'd like to support the official release of the manga, uh, Viz is licensing the manga, and you can even read the manga on the new Viz Manga streaming service, because that is basically the Shogakukan streaming service, and this is published in Monthly Shonen GX by Shogakukan. I was going to put off getting a Viz subscription. I'm like, this is a little bit of money, and I don't read manga as much as I used to, and now look at me. God damn it. There you go. Fucking do it. And if you would like to follow us, uh, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can find us on YouTube at the Dub Talk Podcast. We also have audio versions of our podcast, including our Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcast platforms. If you would like to find us, we are still indeed on the rocky boat that is Twitter. That's... But you know what? It's fun. No. 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 It's forever Twitter. <laughs> If Elon Musk won't respect the name change of his own children, I won't respect the name change of Twitter. 
So yeah, you can find us on our Twitter account. We do have a Blue Sky account as a uh, life raft just in case, but we also do have Twitter, we do have Instagram, and we do have Tumblr as well. But if you'd like to support us, you can give us a one-time donation at our Ko-fi, but you can also support us on our Patreon, which lovely, wonderful Patreons have been supporting us. If you'd like to give us some money as a regular donation, you can get your name written... Ro- Shout, shout outs out on the episode. Thank you. Red. I'm tired. Uh, shout outs from our wonderful patrons like Megan's mom and dad, Michelle Travis, Victor May Bodoroda, Anthony Brown, Carly Lestikow, Kim Wasuk, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. And uh, as where you can find us, my name is Andrew, aka Classy Spartan. You can find me over on the Twitter.com at MangaMan9000. You can also find me on Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA, where we talk about the latest in anime news alongside fellow Dub Talk Podcast co host, Jet. Stephanie, where can the people find you? Hello. I'm here. <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter or on Blue Sky. Uh, at Lilac Anime Review, with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E. Uh, I post on occasion, I guess. I've been busy with work, so I don't post much on either of the platforms. But I also do have a TikTok if y'all want to see TikToks of me going to Broadway shows or of my cat. Love you, Ash. Love my cat, wherever he is. He's right there. He's staring Uh, at us and telling us, why are you still going? You can also see me do things on the Dub Talk Twitch. We do have for- a Twitch channel. You forgot to mention that. We do have a Twitch where we play video games. Right now, Steph and I, at the time of this recording, are playing Batman, uh, Telltale, The Enemy Within. Which is the second season. And I'm also playing uh, Pokemon Violet. And, as a fun thing you also didn't freaking mention, we started posting the Twitch VODs again as of this past week. At on Dub Talk Gaming. On the Dub YouTube Talk Gaming. channel Dub Talk Gaming. Because the last time we posted things was in March, and then shit happened. But uh, we're finally posting VODs again now. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Hardy, uh, where can the lovely people find you? You can find me at the website formerly known as Twitter, at Spaceman Hardy. I'm also kind of just there yeah yeah jackson i'm on uh twitter at nine claw tiger i made a blue sky i made a mastodon account at the kind.social server uh you can follow me and see me retweets uh vtuber and vtuber fans such as ray hiraway who made fan art of gargura saying don't fuck with me <laughs> god did he actually okay you you know you're gonna have to send that to me after oh we already had that on standby oh my god <laughs> yeah there's gargura saying uh maji fuzakenna which that was after a stream where uh, she got taught a bunch of bad words in japanese <laughs> all right and finally amon duel where can the people find you and do you have something to share with the class yeah absolutely uh you can find me on twitter and blue sky and co-host as amon duel or amon duel us i forget what i am on co-host uh and i talk about music and movies and comic books and dumb bullshit uh, and I have a dusty old song for you. Um, dusty old song. Dusty so old the, song. There's, dusty a, there, old there's song. a there's a fair bit of music in uh, in this, uh, both in the anime and the manga. As Hardy pointed out at one point, uh, Revy has a fight scene to the white zombie song "Electric Head." In another fight scene, she does this to what is apparently a song by Rednecks, the Swedish dance group that did Cotton Eye Joe. I I need to find out what that one. What? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. 
It's called Shooter. Huh? I'm assuming it's one of their more, like, hillbilly-ish numbers. I didn't get a chance to listen to it, so I don't know. Huh, okay. Uh, but instead, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stump for a band who is, in fact, mentioned in the show itself during the Yakuza arc. Revy and Rock are driving around somewhere, and they are listening to a song by Guitar Wolf. Uh, Guitar Wolf are great. Uh, what if the Ramones were Japanese and even scuzzier? They're a delight. Do you like low-rent, hard-aggressive rock and roll? Well, uh, Guitar Wolf have like ten whole albums for you. Uh, the song that's uh, featured in that episode specifically is called... I have it here. Uh, Kenana Fever. It's pretty good. They're uh, generally a delight, and to prove that, uh, in 1999, they starred in a movie. And you might think, well, what kind of movie are they in? Well, well, obviously, it was a comedy horror zombie movie about them and a fan of theirs fighting zombies. Of course! Makes perfect sense. It is, it is unseen by me, but I've, I've definitely heard of this movie. It is apparently quite a good time, so go track that down, too. It doesn't sound like a bad time, either way. It does not sound like a bad time. And with that, thank you all so, so fucking much for joining me for tonight. I've been... This was great. This was wonderful. Thank you for helping me, uh go through this one again. This was a ton of fun. Get fucked, motherfuckers! Fucking A. Remember, kids, Otaku on, it's all up to you. No one lives forever. <laughs> Weapon, I have it all. For Christ's sake, this rotten world shit out of luck. Thank y'all. We're gonna get to port, and we're gonna go drink our Fucking asses off. Oh, hell yeah. Unless the bars uh, got shot up by another maid again. In yeah. which case, uh... Oh, fuck. She just dropped a grenade. Everyone hit the dirt. Oh, shit! Ah! This happens every time we try to have. Oh, Jesus. Back over Boston, Rock out Chicago.